And now, Monumental Sports and Entertainment along with Pressbox presents Stan the Fans Bat Around. For the next two hours, listen in as Stan and Craig Heist bat around all manner of topics pertaining to the great game of baseball with their great group of guest contributors. Feel free to tweet your questions to Stan at Stan the Fan. Now sit back and enjoy the bat around. Guys, take it away. Wait, who's going first? I am. Okay. <laughs> All right. It's now the Craig Heist Show. <laughs> That's right. This is the Bat Around for Saturday, October the 7th. And uh, Stan the Fan is back in studio, so there'll be a, some semblance of order today. Welcome back. Some semblance. Some. Just a little. That bonds will remind me because it's been two weeks now. I go to my Facebook page. To Fa- share this? You can share. No, I go to Pressbox. Yeah. I go to Pressbox. Facebook.com slash Pressbox Sports. All right. Forget everything that I said when we opened the show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a semblance of normalcy. That's Anywhere a- technology and stand the fan fight. Yeah, it's like where the rubber meets the road. That's exactly right. How hey, are you? I'm doing great. How was your uh, holiday? It was good. Good. It was good. good. It was a pleasure not to have to be in here with the two of you. Well, thank you very much. and uh, Likewise for us. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Heard you had quite a show, though. We, we did. We had a lot of folks and uh, talked a lot of baseball and uh, Richard Justice from MLB. Numbers were the lowest in the history of the show. Well, I don't know. We were talking uh, during the show. We had, like, okay. we had like we had like two hundred. We had like two hundred views yeah. on the web like in the, the first, first hour. hour yeah. <laughs> so it's kind of like the old days before you came in and co-hosted with me. <laughs> no, I heard you had uh, my good friend Richard Justice. Yeah. Did you tell him I said hello? I did, and uh, he said, uh, you know, he wanted to have have us wish you the best. On the uh, holiday, and uh, he was uh, in the in the midst of getting set to cover the Houston Astros for MLB.com in the playoffs, and uh, I've seen him do a couple of hits on the MLB Network this week. How's he, he and his wife and family doing in Houston? Well, and that's how we, we yeah. kind of added, we kind of ended the interview with that, and he says just one day at a time, Heisty. Yeah. He says, you know. Uh, there's a lot of work to be done, he says, but it's getting done slowly but surely. But uh, just one day at a time, there's a lot to clean up. Yeah. So He did say that it was very humbling to see everybody help each other yeah. out. Well, we've had three tremendous, well, four tremendous tragedies, you know, uh, including the shooting in Las Vegas, and that's what you keep hearing uh, about. But that's uplifting is how people are helping people. But South Florida continues to recover. Houston continues to recover. The job is starting to get done in Puerto Rico and in in Mexico with the earthquake that they had. Oh, God, yeah, it wasn't Uh, even... Got Hurricane Nate coming in, Category 1. is now a Category 1, so that's in the Gulf of Mexico heading toward the New Orleans area over into Alabama. So right. we'll see where that makes landfall. It's been a rough rough patch, yep. no question about it. Uh, we are here, though, to uplift your spirits by talking a little baseball. And so far, we've got everything is going according to Hoyle in my book, Save Your Series, the Nats and the Cubs, for just a minute. But the other three series, things are going according to Hoyle, except for one huge story, and that is Corey Kluber showed he's, he's human, human yeah. after all. Yeah, I mean, if you go into that in, in that series and you tell me that Corey Kluber is going to pitch a game where he doesn't make it past. In game two. In, in game you, two, right. Yeah. 
which tells you Terry Francona kind of knows what he's talking about and knows his team a little bit. Yeah. Uh, but he goes out there, and if you tell me Corey Kluber's going to go just three innings and give up, what was it, six runs, I guess, yeah. uh, you, you're probably thinking the Indians do not win that game. But and what then, a- and then you counter, counter the counterpart of that is if you tell me that the Yankees, with their vaunted bullpen, have a five-run lead, I'm thinking <laughs> get ball game over. Well, yeah, you would think so. I think Bill Latchin probably was thinking that. Too. <laughs> well, we'll probably hear. You know, it was great. Last night I'm at the Nats game, and I'm watching. You know, we're, we're a couple innings in maybe. And I knew that the Yankees had an 8-3 lead. Right. And I was watching the first part of the game on the TV in front of me up in, in the press box. But as it gets closer to the Nats game, all the TVs get turned over in the Nats game. But it's an 8-3 to three lead for the Yankees in that game. And then all of a sudden, an instant message pops up on my message. And it just says, God damn it, like that. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I went, well, maybe I should check the Yankees score. <laughs> and it's 8-7, to seven, okay? Oh, well. Indians have hung his four spot up in the sixth inning. And then Jay Bruce hits the home run. Off of he, David Robertson. Off of David Robertson to, to wind up tying the game at 8. It goes into the 13th inning. And, uh, you know, it's, it's amazing that the Indians are able to come back and win that game. But almost as sh- not quite as shocking as Corey Kluber showing his human side is, is uh, Chad Green, who has been on the right side of brilliant this year for uh, Joe Girardi. And probably one of the reasons they made the wild card. Exactly. And he gave up the big three spot and gave up the grand slam home run to Francisco Francisco Lindor. Now, are are both of you familiar with the play that is sort of causing Joe Girardi some grief? Oh, Uh, yeah. Go ahead and recap it because I know it. Apparently, I don't know everything about it, but it was Lonnie Chisenhall was up. I don't know Mm -hmm. how many outs there were in the inning, but there was a ball, a pitch, that seemed to hit him. Now I now I only saw a quick replay of it. I did not see Lonnie Chisenhall, by the way, to his credit, pull a Derek Jeter. The time Derek Jeter, remember that? Where he pretended he was hit? And he was like, ah, you know, and then the thing clearly showed mm-hmm. that the ball was ball nowhere there. near yeah. his hand. Yeah. Uh Chisenhall didn't do that, but the ball hit the hit the, the nub of the the knob of the bat. But the umpire, and it's not Chisenhall's job to really argue with him in mm-hmm. that case, uh, they awarded him first base, which loaded the bases and set up Lindor's grand slam home run. Joe Girardi's taking a lot of grief for not having challenged that play. I, I don't – And I, as big a problem as I have with his not challenging it, I found his reasons Re- for I not challenging the excuse don't for make it. sense. He goes, uh, well, I've always learned being a catcher – that you don't want to disrupt your pitchers. Uh, uh, darn right, I want to disrupt that. That's a difference between a strikeout. That was going to be a, a foul tip strike foul three. Tip, foul tip strike three. I've, I've got to take that over letting the guy get a hit by pitch. And since when is Major League Baseball really that strict? About thirty seconds. Well, and that's that's the other part of it that I didn't get was when he said, you know, well, you only have a thirty second window to make a decision. They tell us to do thirty seconds, right. but. John that's, Gibbons. That's like, that's John like, Gibbons takes two minutes to walk to the mound. Right, and that's <laughs> that's like uh, that, that's like the uh, thing in in where where they tell you that uh, yeah, it's a two minute thing, but that's also the same thing as where you use your uh, challenge up if you uh, are wrong on your challenge, but yet you can get the umpire to look at something later in the game. Right. Right. 
I mean, in that situation, you have to challenge. You know that it was a close play. And Gary Sanchez was arguing that play. He was telling the home plate umpire, no, that did not hit him. And and even more even more of a reason for Girardi to challenge that play. When you see your catcher right, have right. the reaction that Gary Sanchez had, right. if you're the manager, you have to go out and challenge yeah. well, that play. Well, he's getting apparently uh, he's getting ripped. Tarden. He's getting yeah. ripped. Well, Tarden he's also tarden. getting ripped a bit for taking CC out. Because CC Sabathia was... I, I wish I could speak to that. I was uh, having dinner with my wife and another couple, uh, a quick dinner, my wife said, and I ended up missing about six innings of that game. Uh, so I can't really comment as to when he took Sabathia out, you know, whether he should have been out. But what, he took him out in the fifth inning? or It was in the sixth inning. Sixth I think he inning. went five and a third or five yeah, and two-thirds. That, well, that sounds about right for Sabathia now, especially when you've got that bullpen. I can't second-guess putting Chad Green in any game right now. Oh, no, because Chad Green's probably one of the main reasons they're in uh, and made the wild card. Didn't you game. just say that? Uh, yes. Like about four minutes ago. Yes. So I'm 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 repeating what I said. You're reiterating. Drive you're home. Not repeating it. You're reiterating. I'm reiterating it to drive home the point. I love you too. Yeah. All right. Here's what we've got on the show today. Joining us in about seven or about eight or nine minutes is Rich Dubroff of PressBox and PressBoxOnline.com did a super job in year one covering the Orioles for our uh, website and our print uh, publication. Uh, he will join us and he's been a frequent guest on the Bat Around and other shows around town. Uh, at 1042, 1044 in there, Mike Shallon's going to join us. He'll talk about how the Red Sox are facing elimination when they host the uh, Houston Astros tomorrow at Fenway Park. And I've got a couple predictions about the Red Sox, all right? I'll tell you one right now. Uh, here's my prediction. They're going to get swept, mm -hmm. which was my prediction anyway. I think they are going to fire John Farrell. Okay, well, that was my two. Okay, and my third is they are going to go all out to acquire Giancarlo Stanton. Really? Yeah. This is exactly the M.O., that, that Dave Dombrowski pulled off when he came to the Tigers and went to Miami Who's when they were doing unloading somebody. Who is Gene Carlo Stanton? <laughs> <laughs> Mike Stanton. You mean oh, Mike Stanton? Okay, good enough. John Carlo Stanton. John Carlo Stanton. My uh, diction, my diction coach here. Yeah. Greg Heiss. Um I did get you, though, with Jeff. You, Mith you, you Mith did. You, yeah. <laughs> Yes, I did. got him. Mathis. Once on time. <laughs> I pronounce Mathis Mythis. Um, those are my three predictions on the uh, Boston Red Sox. Who pitches for them, by the way, to, in tomorrow's game? Uh, Fister? It yeah, is. I, it, I, I cannot believe that they've got Doug Fister going. <laughs> Seriously, I'm really – that would be like well, – would That mean, would be like the, the Nats facing elimination starting Edwin Jackson. Seriously. <laughs> Well, Fister's a little bit better than that, but not much. Well, if you're the Orioles, you would have liked yeah, to have. We wouldn't have had. We wouldn't have had either. We neither one was good enough for the Orioles. That's right, and, and that's that's the that's mind, mind boggling yeah. part of that. Yeah, that is. But uh, a guy who's been Parker in Parker Bridwell wasn't good enough for the Orioles. No, but a guy a guy in Fister who's been in big games before. Yeah. Who knows if he's got the sinker going, gets a lot of ground balls, he can pitch very deep into a ball game. But I'll tell you what. 
that Astros offense is just they are something. They else. are something mm-hmm. else. I, I am really that's the one series in all these series that I am really looking forward to is Houston versus Cleveland. When that you, has got a chance to be a great series. A great series, yeah. And you look at the fact that Jose Altuve is he hits three home runs in game one. He comes back with two more hits yesterday and two RBI. Uh to go with Carlos Correa, who hit a three-run homer in the game yesterday. But, I mean, if, there's a lot of talk out there about MVP and, you know, is it? Yeah, I think he's I, I think I, he I think is, he's whether MVP. it's Judge, whether it's Altuve, and I understand. And Ramirez is the other guy. Ramirez is the other I guy. I think Altuve is the, the straw that stirs that drink. Uh, there's no question yeah. about it. And yeah. he is, uh, for a guy who's five foot six. You root for guys like that. <laughs> yeah, no question about it. Anyway, uh, the so so Mike Shallon of the New Hampshire Union Leader joins us at about 1045. Bill Latson of MLB.com. Uh, what's it called, his column, Working Press? Uh, it's Newsmakers. 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 Yeah. Uh, I don't know where I pulled Working Press out. Usually <laughs> something like my pronunciation of Giancarlo Stanton. <laughs> Um, anyway, then at 11.35, my old friend um, and a, a, a baseball a business, sports business consultant, Andy Dolich, he's worked in every big, uh, the big four sports. He's worked for the, the Oakland A's, Philadelphia 76ers, Memphis Grizzlies, San Francisco 49ers, Washington Capitals. He's worked around sports for 45, 50 years Andy's going to join us to talk about the site selection. The Oakland A's finally have their site picked out, and it's almost just for folks in Baltimore. It's it's it sounds to me almost like they picked out Morgan State or Towson University. That's the site for a new stadium is on a small campus in the Oakland uh, Bay Area. Peralta College is the site selection. It's fascinating to me. Yes. There's one question you might want to ask um, Shallon later is the injury with uh, Mr. Shallon to Mr. you. Mr. A. Pardon me, Mr. Yeah. Shallon, if you're watching. Well, cause, because Shallon calls you Mr. Tupa. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But um, Eduardo Nunez got injured, and I know people were very aggravated about that because Nunez, you could say, wasn't 100% healthy to begin with. Yeah. And now he's probably out. I don't know what his injury is, but I'm guessing he's out for the playoffs. Yeah. That was a, that was was a that a knee or an ankle? Uh, I believe it was a knee. And is are there any early reports, speaking of injuries, I'm the Edwin Encarnacion injury looked like a that season ender good. to yeah. me. Yeah, that, that looked like a season ender to me, too. So, and, and that's, you know, going forward, especially when you look uh, forward to a Cleveland Astros LCS, if it's what it comes down to. That's a big bat to lose out of that lineup. No question mm-hmm. about it. It does afford them the opportunity to get a not altogether 100% healthy Michael Brantley into the lineup. Uh, but Brantley, who missed about six weeks, poor bastard, never knew it would hit him. He, I just had acquired him on my fantasy team about two weeks before. Well, and that's yeah. usually the kiss of death. Yeah, that yeah. is the KOD. Uh, but he somehow... Made it back for the last day of the season to go one for one after we had released him. Um, <laughs> I sound like a bitter man. Don't you, I? you really do. I sound bitter. Yeah. Anyway, uh, Michael Brantley will most likely get most of the at-bats that Edwin Encarnacion would have gotten. Not exactly the same potent, potent bat, but Michael Brantley, a real professional hitter. And if he can run... 
he gives you a little bit more speed, but boy, he's really been injury prone the last two seasons. Yeah, he has been. Uh, but you know, the the great thing about the Indians, uh, when you think about it, is the depth that they've uh, managed to accumulate over the last couple of years and in their farm system. So, uh, again, this is a team that really is put together pretty well. They got the right manager and the right time. And, uh, you know, we saw what Terry did in Boston, which is a totally different animal in terms of uh, just managing in that city with that team. Having to deal with the media, media the high-powered ownership. uh, Exactly. And now, now, now you look at what he's done there and you think about hunches like game one starter uh, in this LDS and then turn around and uh, have the wherewithal to be up now 2 nothing, and it looks like they're going to make another run. All right, uh, let's set the stage for you. By the way, we ask you if you have joined us on Facebook Live and you can reach us there by going to PressBox Sports slash PressBox Sports. Facebook.com slash PressBox Sports. You said Press Sports. Pressbox Press Sports. Sports slash Facebook.com slash Pressbox Sports. <laughs> I've got a lot on my mind this morning. Facebook.com slash Pressbox Sports. Please like us and share us because that helps us build up our viewership on the program. Uh, let's, before we turn to Rich Dubroff, who's due to join us in just a minute or two, uh, let's set the stage. The American League is dark today. No games between the Red Sox and uh, Astros. And if if you're the Yankees and the Red Sox, it's even darker. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And the Yankees and Cleveland, they both have the day off today. The Nats will host the Cubs today, and I'm told by Bonza, I did not realize that, that Max Scherzer is not pitching today. They're going with Gio Gonzalez. Is right, that, that, true? that, that was uh, okay. I yeah, didn't. Yeah, I, no, no, that was I announced all along, yesterday. Okay, yeah. I assumed all. Along he had to ask you for reassurance. He don't trust me. I know. Uh, I know. Why would I? Why would <laughs> I? <laughs> guys, wet behind the ears. Oh. Still wet behind the ears. Okay. <laughs> anyway, I'm not going there. Uh, <laughs> John Lester will face Gio Gonzalez at game time. Is 5:30 at Nats Park. Right. To, tonight at nine o'clock. The Arizona Diamondbacks apparently are going to throw Robbie Ray, and he will go against uh, Rich Hill uh, for the Diamondbacks. Diamondbacks. Now, here's another thing in that series. If you tell me that Clayton Kershaw is going to give up four home runs, albeit, you know, it didn't hurt them in the end, but, you know, he and, – and Kershaw, for as dominant as a guy as he is, and we saw him last year in the National Series in the LDS, pitched, you know, the final couple innings in the uh, – uh, you know, actually pitched the ninth inning in the in the clinching game in Game Five, uh, and he's been as dominant as anybody can be in a regular season. His postseason numbers are not that great. In fact, last night after he gave up back-to-back home runs to Cattell Marte and Jeff Mathis in the seventh top of the seventh inning to mm-hmm. narrow the lead from seven to two to seven to four, and I think he gave up another hit. Mm-hmm. And then Dave Roberts got him. Somebody on on uh, Twitter, on TweetDeck or Twitter, uh, tweeted out that his earned run average after the sixth inning in postseason play is twenty five point five zero. Not what you I want. don't know what Dave Roberts is thinking there. Yeah. You've got a five run lead, and you know you may need him a second time in the series. You know, and yeah. he's shown to you know these are. These are the best. I'm I'm quoting Buck Showalter. These are the best hitters in all of baseball, mm-hmm. 
And even Clayton Kershaw, it shows, is not immune to that third time around being a little bit more problematic when you lose a little velocity, a little bite. All right, anyway, uh, we'll we'll move over and grab our friend Rich Duboff from PressBox and PressBoxOnline.com. He joins us now on the Battle Round. Rich, thank you very much. Uh, Good morning, guys. How are you, guy? Good, good, good. Have you, before we start talking, we have you on all the time to talk about the Orioles, but I'm wondering as a baseball aficionado and a baseball fan, uh, have you been watching much of what's taking place? Uh, yes, but they're not enough hours in the day to, uh, to watch them, especially, you know, uh, especially the first, uh, the first few games that, uh, you know, the, the Astros and, and Red Sox series just taken forever. And the two wild card, the wild card series. And, you know, as you know, Stan, yes, I am a big baseball fan, even when I'm, you know, even when the Orioles are eliminated. And I've watched, I've watched at least some of every, you know, every postseason game. And, you know, and until the, uh, the Nats and the Cubs game and the, um, and the Indians, and Yankees game, I, I thought the, the first few games were just, just took just took forever, and I and I don't understand how the how they're going to get the casual fan to watch. You know, uh, I think baseball's making uh, making some real mistakes by not uh, aggressively addressing the pace of game, and I think it's terrible that you know even people like me who cover this for a living, we have to think where are the games on. Uh, that yet- that is one of the toughest things, seriously. And you are pretty much a stickler for kind of knowing that. I go to the TV. I immediately to turn on eight fifty seven on Comcast, thinking games are there. Sometimes they are. Sometimes they're not. Then if they're not, I think of TBS and I go, well, maybe it's on ESPN. And then, then I have to really circle back and find that they're on 859. But there is a way around this. Yes. Help and, me. And, Help and, me, and, Ice-T. This is a way around it. Yeah. Uh, I came home and was kind of – Call you? No, no, no. Kind of having the same issue yeah. with it. I'm like, okay, who's doing the game? Is it TBS? Is it ESPN? Is it FS1? That kind right. of thing. So I grab the remote, and I have the voice-activated remote, and I just say, FS1. It turns out over. Same thing. So what's if, the other if one? It's not FS what? FS two? No, it's just They're, Fox Sports one. And then well, you're no, not the getting, Yankees and the, the Yankees and Indians were on MLB Network. Right, right. and then there's MLB Network too. Okay, so, so just really but, hit the three. But, things but you know, right. but the point is, the point is, I think I think a bigger one, which is, okay, you have your classic event, you have your classic events, your marquee games, right, and you're putting them on. You're putting them on Fox Sports One, which few people watch. When was the last time any of you guys watched a game on Fox Sports One before? You know, before I'll be honest with you. I got screwed up two weeks ago when Maryland was playing UCF. Right? I went to tape. I went to. I knew I wasn't going to be there for the game, so I went to tape the game before I had to leave for an event, and it it had a auto race on. So it and then a blurb comes across that says the game will be on FS Business until the the race or something. So I go over to FS Business and I want to tape the game. So I figure, well, I'll tape the first two hours or whatever it is. I had to tape six one half hour shows 
only to come back later in the day. And luckily, it wasn't a great game, so I didn't care. But I went to, to watch it on the tape. They had moved the game immediately back to uh, FX1 yeah. right after the race was over. I saw one injury on, on Fox Business. So, that, uh, but, but ironically, it was, it was two weeks ago, but I get your point. It probably had been until from last year's baseball. Well, they're putting, right, they're putting games on network, you know, Fox Sports 1, which few people watch. Then they're putting them on MLB Network, which fewer people watch. Right. Now, ESPN, which everybody watches, has one game. And Fox, which, of course, many people watch, well, they won't get the games, I think, till the World Series. Right. So it, it's just they're really hurting themselves, I think. I agree and, with and, you. And, you know, by, by sort of parsing them out the way they, you know, the way they do. And if the games are, you know, if the games are taking four hours to play, I mean, I don't know, I went to, I watched, you know, I watched a, a lot yesterday, and then I went to bed uh, around midnight, and I don't know what time the, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know what time the Dodgers and the, the Diamondbacks ended, I guess, you know, 2 a.m. or something. Uh, but, and, and I know that's the only way you can do it with um, when you have four games in one day. Well, and the but other still, the, it's the, hard. It, it, it's hard to appeal to to the casual fans this way. You're only gonna you're only gonna appeal to the uh, to the hardcore like us, right? And then what happens is if if Turner has the games, uh, TBS or TNT, what happens is if if both games of a doubleheader at night are supposed to be on TNT, if the one game doesn't end in time for the other one to start, they'll start that other they game over, over on TNT. And right. here's, here's what I had happen last night. After uh, after Walker's first inning, I want to make sure I get this right, the, was the Nats game was on TBS. Yes. Right. Okay. So now I it's the scroll comes across to turn on the Dodger game on TNT. I'm watching TNT. Kershaw pitches the first inning, and he had like 24 pitches, okay? And it took a few minutes. They break for a commercial, and I'm online doing something, and I'm talking to some couple people. And next thing I know, I'm seeing a commercial, like a long commercial for this new series that's coming on TB on TBS or TNT. And I go, you know what? I bet the I bet the inning started already, and sure enough, it, I click back over to TBS. They moved the game without exactly, really telling me. They, right, they usually do that. They always do that. They always do it. But also, TBS don't they put a, a big scroll yeah. across or in something? Yeah. No. You know, I'm not a big TV. I'm not a yeah. big TV watcher other than sports. Yeah. And you know, again, TBS. Well, TBS doesn't mean sports right now, except for you know. Except for, I know they have a they have a Sunday game of the week in the second half of the season that nobody watches, but you no know, people aren't used to watching TBS for sports. Exactly, um, yeah. they may be watching TNT for the NBA, uh, but that's you know TNT is known for the NBA, so yeah. it, it's just something that I think baseball has to address. Uh, one other bit of news, by the way, that uh, I, I guess I didn't expect to see a press release about this, but Cal Ripken is not no longer with the TBS uh, family. Well, that that, well, that, that I, came out a few few months ago. A few months ago. I did not know that. Yeah. I was expecting. Yeah, him to be that, that came out. That was that was known. Uh, that was known a few months ago. All right. 
anyway. Let me ask you this, Rich, in terms of uh, the Orioles. Now, I know you wrote a column about uh, Ubaldo Jimenez and some of the pitching issues uh, that took place during the season, and certainly there were enough of them. But, but the Ubaldo column was really about, will his signing, signing and the failed signing right. cause problems with making another it, signing? Exactly. Now, we've heard that they're going to go out and try to acquire some free agent pitching this offseason. Uh, and while the names aren't that great necessarily, there are some guys I think that could help this rotation uh, without any question. How do you see that going right now, even though you know, you're still in the postseason, nothing's going to really start going on until after the World Series? Well, yeah, I think you're right, Craig. Uh, I think the, you know, there, there are certain names that I think the Orioles could be interested in. Alex Cobb is, is someone that I know Stan is very interested in. Andrew Kashner, uh, Lance Lynn, uh, Jason Vargas. Those are, the, I think, the kind of names that the Orioles will be, uh, will be looking for. I don't think that they're, they're really going to aggressively pursue uh, Hugh Darvish or Jake Arrieta because I think that they'll, they'll want uh, years and dollars beyond what the Orioles are, are going to be able to do. But I think the Orioles will, will try and see if they can sign people for two or maybe three years. Uh, and you know, if they can sign one, you know, one of those guys or you know, even two of those guys, I know that will be very hard because there are a lot of teams that are going to be uh, in the same boat. For, They're in the same boat. Looking, you know, looking, looking for pitching. But, I mean, the Orioles do have, you know, they do have some money, a lot of money coming off the payroll. Uh, so I, I think what they have to do is try and sign one, you know, one or two of those guys and then maybe take a, a one-year flyer on a, you know, a, a kind of pitcher who's been down on his luck and, uh, uh, but who's been, you know, who's been a major league pitcher. And then you go into spring training with those guys and then sort of the, you know, sort of the what if guys, uh, Miguel Castro, Miguel Castro, Gabriel and Noah, Mike Wright, and, uh, you know, uh, those sorts, Alec Asher. So I, I think you got to go into spring training with, you know, eight or nine candidates for, uh, you know, for the five starters. So there's a lot of work the Orioles have to do, whether it's in the free agent market or, or maybe in the trade market, too. We're talking with Rich Dubroff. He's covered the Orioles this past season for PressBox and PressBoxOnline.com. Rich, there was a name, and boy, I feel stupid now that I didn't write it down. There's a, a former Major League pitcher who has pitched in Japan. Yeah, all the all the attention is on uh, Otani, you know, the uh, – the dual yeah. hitter, hitter pitcher, but uh, MLB trade rumors had a story about a pitcher. It's Mike something or other. He pitched for the Rangers. It sounded very much like um, uh, Colby Lewis, you know, who went over to Japan for two or three years, right. was a marginal major league guy, and then turned himself into a guy that had a couple good seasons in the major leagues. This guy sounded ex- he's taken that exact path. He's been well. He's... The Orioles are going to have to be very, very inventive, Stan. Yeah. Uh, you know, and and not just. I think one of the problems was they went into spring training with you know the starters that they you know the starters that they had, and once Tillman uh, was hurt, uh, they thought that well, gee, these other guys, uh, you know, Tyler, you know, Tyler Wilson. Mike and, Wright uh, and Wright, yeah, and and Noah and Jason Aquino could cover them, and it turned out that they that it turned out that they couldn't. And then when Tillman was was uh, came back, 
uh, he 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 didn't give them what they needed. Let, so let, so that, that 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 put them in such a uh, that put them in such bad straits that let, they never really recovered. Let me uh, take uh, take another tact here in talking about the Orioles and pitching. You've done a good job. The article about Ubaldo is from the point of view of how is the Ubaldo signing going to affect the Orioles' willingness to shell out substantial bucks for pitchers in years. What about the players and the player agents side, how they view the Baltimore Orioles? Uh, we all know and we've all talked about Peter Angelos's rather tough um, medicals to get through, well, and we saw the Grant. Okay. We saw the Grant Balfour situation. We've which known the, out, which worked, worked out, out very, to, very well for the Orioles. Exactly, but my point is, it, you know, do you bite your nose to spite your face? In other words, if I'm Alex Cobb or Jason Vargas, who have already had injuries in the past, substantial injuries, do I want to go down the road of really taking the Orioles seriously as a suitor? When at the last minute, not only might they pull their offer, it might damage me in the eyes of other teams. Well, it's interesting you say that because I know what there's one prominent agent who has told me that uh, that they know that they like dealing with the Orioles because they know what the uh, what the medical parameters are. Okay, uh, now that's good. It's interesting to hear, and that uh, it's interesting. You know, also, last, uh, a couple of years ago when they signed Giovanni Gallardo, the Orioles were saved from, I think, you know, spending a lot of extra money by a, a medical report which uh, showed that he, you know, he was dinged up a little bit, and yep. it turned out he was. And, you know, he didn't give them a really good uh, first year. And then for the second and final year, they traded him for Seth Smith. Now, we, uh, now, if he had still had two years left on his contract, I don't know that they did, they would have been able to get him. I would they would have been able you. to deal him for Seth Smith. Right. Uh, and of course, the Balfour thing worked out. It turned out it worked out brilliantly because uh, they ended up having Zach Britton as the closer. It wasn't their you know original idea, but it worked out. You know, it worked out well for them. And I, I think more than that, it's sort of the Maybe pitchers aren't thrilled about pitching in the AL East and pitching in Baltimore. I'll, uh, I'll, uh, Jer- ballpark. I mean, I think that's more of a that's more of a concern than the medicals. Uh, I'll, uh, Mr. Hellickson. <laughs> yeah, yeah and, and you know, Doug Fister a couple of years ago, uh, you know, didn't bite at the Orioles' offer and, and went to the Astros instead because of uh, you know. Because on a one-year contract, he didn't want to be uh, be pitching in Baltimore. So uh, I think a lot of these guys might rather pitch in the National League when they only have eight hitters to face, really, instead of nine. What can this club do to get a guy or two uh, part of this lineup that will help manufacture some runs or at least put the – uh, at least put the situation on the table where there are guys on base for the big boppers. Well, they sort of did. In, that was sort of part of the deal with Beckham. Now, he didn't have a good September, but he had a great August. And when he was getting on base, he was, you know, he was manufacturing money. He was taking extra bases right. uh, trying to steal. So they, I think they addressed that a bit, uh, a bit with Beckham. 
they need to get, yeah, they need to be more athletic. I know they have a couple of guys in the minors who they think, you know, will play, maybe not, you know, at the beginning of next year, but look at Cedric Mullins and D.J. Stewart, who both played for Bowie. They're both on-base guys, and they both have some good speed. So uh, this is something, This is something. yes, that they absolutely need to uh, uh, need to do because you know the game. Uh, the game's changed. You know, Buck Showalter uh, talked to Chris Davis at length about this, and you know, trying to tell him, you know, the game has changed. Uh, it's not just the starting pitcher being fastball happy. Everybody throws hard, and everybody's got a good curveball now. And you can't go and and think that you know what worked three or four years ago is going to work now. So you're going to have to change. And, uh, you know, the Orioles have sort of a, uh, have sort of a sit on your hands and, and, and hope for the big inning kind of club. Uh, you know, I mean, they, they got, they got Trey Mancini this year, who's really good, but Mancini doesn't have, uh, you know, a lot of speed and speed's not something that you develop as you get older. It, you know, you have to have it at the beginning of your big league career. And and you slow down. That's a pile so, of that's a pile of garbage. I'm just as fast now as I was 20 years ago. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, but you're almost. not fast. Wow, but you're not faster. Wow, you you heard the hesitation there yeah. from Rich. He just doesn't quite believe that. <laughs> but you know that's the thing is you don't. It, what it's great to hit home. It's great to hit home runs. You know the Orioles were fifth in home runs, and they were. You know, one of the th- one of the things that's interesting is I think they were third in runner in runners in scoring position. Yeah, and, and that didn't ha- you know that didn't help a lot. And you know, some of the years that they won, they didn't do really well with runners in scoring position. Uh, so, you know, it's important. It's nice to have home runs, but you know, you have a guy like Mark Trumbo who had a terrific 2016, and you look at his numbers this year, and they were they were pretty bad you know he had he had less than half the number of home runs this year than he did last year his uh his his batting average was way down you know he doesn't draw a lot of walks uh you know guys like him and and davis have to change if they're going to be you know if if they're going to be players that that help the ball club we're talking to rich dubroff of pressbox pressboxonline.com rich uh before we let you go um I know you're a pretty realistic guy as to what the team is capable of, uh, how good they are. I know there's a lot of runway between now and March 29th when the season opens. But let's just suppose that the team is not firing on all cylinders and it's another sort of negative season developing. Uh, do you think the Orioles at that time will be able to sort of revisit the Manny Machado scenario and and get some value for him? Or do you think this is just merely going to be that he plays next season for the Orioles and uh, if they can sign him, great. If they can't, we'll get a draft pick. No, because I think that I, – I think that let's say that they're 12 games out of it. Right. On uh, July twenty, on, on July twentieth, and then I think then I think you have to move. I mean, I was never one who thought that they should be aggressively selling this year. Right. Uh, but I think when you when you've reached the point of uh, of you know him having one year left on his deal, 
Uh, I think it's fine to try and, uh, you know, to, to try and go for it again this year, because, you know, even though they had a bad, even though they had a bad year, teams, teams change all the time. And you never, you know, you never know what's going to happen. Did everybody, you know, did everybody predict how, uh, how the Yankees would turn it around? Well, they, you know, they did, they, they didn't think that the Yankees would, you know, would do this well. And who's to say that the Yankees and the Red Sox are going to do it, do as well next year. So, uh, you know, you're all, you, you really do start the season even, uh, and you, you know, if the Orioles are able to make some off-season additions, uh, you know they get some better starting pitching. Then I think that you know, then I think that it's reasonable to think that they'll be you know that they'll be competitive. If they don't, then you know, then you know they'll they'll have to think uh, really hard about what they want to do. But uh, Machado is such a is such a terrific player, even though you know he didn't have a other than. Uh, part of June and July weeks, and August, right. he, he, he didn't have a great weeks, year so. this year. He he is sort of a a once in a generation player. Uh, last question for you: thirty forty second answer, Chris Davis. Uh, I know we kiddingly talk about uh, the, the terms of this contract and how how much talk there'll be about it through the life of it. Uh, do you uh, do you underestimate him, or do you think there is a chance? that we could see the Chris Davis we saw two, three years ago revisit for a year? I think it's going to be hard. It's something that I just, uh, you know, that I just wrote about in uh, my most recent uh, article that's up now. Uh, you know, Davis had such a hard year, a hard year. You know, he struck out, you know, he struck out over 40% of his at-bats. Yeah. So he's going to have to fundamentally change the way he approaches the game if things are going to change with him. Uh, I lied to you. Uh, one quick, just a yes or no. Will the entire coaching staff be back next year? No. Okay. All right. He's Rich Dubroff. We appreciate your being on with us. Enjoy the rest of the uh, postseason. We'll grab you a couple weeks down the road. All right, my friend? All right. Thanks very much, guys. All right. There you have it. Rich Dubroff of PressBox, PressBoxOnline.com. We're going to take our first time out of the program. And when we get back, Mike Shallon joins us from the New Hampshire Union Leader, and Craig Heist wants to chime in. Very quickly, a couple things about the Nats game last yeah. night. Uh, obviously, uh, Kyle Hendricks was just spectacular Brilliant last, last night. Yeah. night. He had control, uh, command of the fastball, and he was throwing that uh, changeup pretty much all night long, keeping the Nats off balance. Strasburg, on the other hand, a no-hitter into the sixth inning. He was as dominant as I've seen him. Uh, and he's had a great second half, a .84 ERA in 10 starts. Uh, the Nationals uh, wind up with a little bit of an extra problem, an in-house issue last night, if you will, and they find out that assistant hitting coach Jock Jones was suspended uh, indefinitely by the club uh, because of a legal matter, and according to a civil suit that was filed back on the 28th of September, Jones uh, distributed uh, nude photos of an ex-girlfriend, I guess, calling her, uh, you know, to suffer what they're terming, quote, general and special damages. Okay. okay. And Dusty Baker, uh, in his press conference yesterday, described it as kind of a downer for the club. Yeah. Because it just comes, I mean, 
you know, Jock is uh, back up to Rick Shue down there, but it just comes at a bad time. Nah, when, really... you, when you're starting to get uh, into the playoff mode, you don't need any kind of distractions. Right. That's somewhat of a distraction, certainly in the clubhouse. Bummer. Bummer. Yeah. Uh, we will take our time out, and when we get back, Mike Shallon will join us. We'll talk about the Red Sox, what they face, and what Mike Shallon is seeing on TV all across the country with these uh, baseball games. More of the bat around after these words. Great news. Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square has a brand new catering delivery truck. Order your next office party platter from Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square and Steve and his crew will bring your chicken piping hot in the all-new Chick-fil-A delivery van. You'll salivate when you see it pull up. Office party, birthday celebration, family gathering, Chick-fil-A catering ensures fast, scrumptious, fresh food with everything you need included. Order using your Chick-fil-A app or call Steve right now and tell him what you need, when, and for how many. They can feed hundreds. Remember, Chick-fil-A now offers breakfast, too, so they can cater your morning meeting, including hot, rich coffee. And it all comes in the brand-new Chick-fil-A delivery van. That's Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square, 5198 Campbell Boulevard, or give them a call, 410-931-0031. The Parkcell Early Phase Unit at Harbor Hospital is looking for healthy males and females ages 18 to 85 to volunteer for a clinical research study. Length of participation and number of visits vary by study. If you qualify, you may receive compensation ranging from $1,200 to $8,500 upon completion. For more information, please visit our website or call 1-877-617-8839. Call now. Members of the GCR community, they're telling me about their experiences at Full Circle Tire and Auto. Steve Barry, why did you take your vehicle to Full Circle? I saw a uh, service plate on the dashboard, and I called the dealership, and they told me it was going to be about $200 to do it, and I heard the commercial for Full Circle Tire and Auto, and I called them, and they told me that they could save me even more money than I thought. They were about $100 less, and it turns out that they didn't have the correct fluid for the car, so they actually went to the dealership and got it, and didn't charge me any extra for it. And that's not all they did for you, was it? About a week and a half later, they sent a personalized thank you card from Amy and the team. They signed it, and it's actually really nice, something I've never experienced before. That's the difference at Full Circle Tire and Auto, 410 Six seven six two two seven seven. That's four one zero six seven six cars. Thirteen zero four Governor's Court, Unit one ten in Abingdon, and FullCircleTireandAuto.com. KZ here, Pressbox Fantasy and Reality Football Show with Sarita, the NFL chick. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I- I'm great. Every Sunday, ten to noon. We talk about mostly football. Yes. We we talk about the college game. We talk about the NFL game. We will throw in sports, local sports, some Orioles, some Terps. If there's an important story around the country, we'll throw that in. But our heart, our soul, of course, is football. Baltimore sports. Baltimore sports. In general. Do a little bit DC. We got to give them some love sometimes. Uh, I guess. Sundays. <laughs> Sundays, 10 to noon, Press Box Fantasy Reality Football Show. Many people know about Goodwill through donating clothes and furniture. Did you know that Goodwill also accepts vehicle donations? Goodwill accepts vehicles in running or non-running condition. When you donate a vehicle, you can steer clear of all of the headaches associated with trying to sell a car yourself. It's fast, simple, and reliable, and you also receive a tax deduction. When you donate to Goodwill, know that your donation is being used to help someone find a job. Last year, we provided job training services to people in need of assistance because of physical, mental, or other social barriers and placed over 3,000 into jobs. To donate your vehicle to Goodwill, visit givethegoodwill.org 
or call 866-492-2770. That's givethegoodwill.org, 866-492-2770. The latest edition of Press Box is available now. On the cover, Luke Jackson looks at the contrast in College Park as Maryland football coach DJ Durkin overhauls the Terps culture in his second season at the helm. Plus, Stan the Fan Charles makes suggestions on how to fix the Orioles pitching rotation for 2018. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. You can also find the entire edition as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. We are back with the bat around Stan the Fan and Craig Heist. Bonza Tufa uh, is making sure the show runs smoothly, and that's why it does that's run right, smoothly. That's right, it's not because of you and I. No, <laughs> we have very little to do with that. Uh, we are here at PressBoxOnline.com slash radio if you are listening. But uh, each and every week, did I say that loud? Scared me. Yeah, did I? I'm a pretty scary guy. Um, That's why we can't have you on video. But each and every week, we are also available to view Craig Heist and I at Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports. I got it together that time. All right, joining us now is an old friend, and uh, he is a columnist for the the New New Hampshire Hampshire Union Leader. Leader. That's right. All of a sudden, I I drew a blank on the state of New Hampshire. Uh, It's Mike Shallon. He joins us right now. Mike, how are you? How you doing, Fred? <laughs> <laughs> oh, touche, touche, Michael. How are you, my friend? Good. How you doing? Good. Michael, how, how tight are people up there in Boston right now? Yeah, the stomach. Well, the Patriots won. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, you know, and, and the Bruins won their opener, but uh, I think that uh, there's a resignation setting in. I mean, I haven't I haven't gone door-to-door on my street yet, but, um, you know, here we are again, the same situation as last year. And uh, now you've got um, Doug Fister. The, the season is in your hands, Mr. Fister. You're the guy. And he happens to be, you know, when the playoffs started, he was the only Red Sox starting pitcher to ever win a game in the postseason. And he still is the only Red wow. Sox pitcher to win a, a, a postseason game as a starting pitcher. Well, i gotta so. be on, I got to be honest with you, Mike. If he is on top of his game with the sinker and getting ground balls and getting ahead in the count, he can be a pretty effective pitcher. Well, he can, and he has been. Um, you know, he had his he had his little stretch where the only the only time he ever gave up any runs was in the first inning. Right. And um, you know, but uh, I tell you what, this is uh, this is a good lineup he's facing. Oh. And the funny thing is, they're they're supposed to be susceptible to left-handers, and we've seen how that's worked out. <laughs> so uh, maybe the uh, maybe the the reverse lock will take place. He's facing a pretty good pitcher in Peacock who pitched well here last week, just last week. And, uh, you know, down down 0-2 and, and um, uh, just their, their two starters getting hammered. You know, that's it. They didn't lose 3-2 games, 2-1 yeah. games, but, but their starters got clubbed. And that's, um, you know, the manager's under some scrutiny for some of the moves he's made. And uh, not as much scrutiny as Mr. Girardi, but he's he's had uh, he's had a tough go in the first two games. Uh, I forget the first two games. I think if they get swept, which I'm expecting them to get swept, I think I'm going to give you three predictions that the Red Sox will get swept, John Farrell will get fired, and Dave Dombrowski will try and figure out a way to acquire Giancarlo, John Carlos Stanton 
from the Miami Marlins. Am I right on all three of those things? I think um, I think you could be. Uh, I think that um, you know if you're if you're looking at Stanton, you got. I think you have to start with Benatendi and Devers, and I'm not sure the Red Sox are willing to do that, but. Um, uh, and as far as as far as the manager getting fired, you know, I I, I keep hearing from people that ownership loves him. Uh, he has won the division two two years in a row, and really, you know, you know he makes he makes his mistakes. They all do. I mean, they all do. You know, you, we love Buck as a manager, but he committed one of the all time no you know, question about in it baseball history last year, and uh, Girardi matched that yesterday, and and. Um, you know, maybe Girardi winds up as the manager. I don't know, but because uh, I think that he could, his days could be numbered now that he that he did what he did yesterday. But um, as far as Stanton is concerned, you know, he's he's a star. He's um, he's under control. I think for three seasons, if I'm not mistaken, I think he can opt out after 2020. Right. And um, you know, the star power, the home run power. There's no question what he brings to the table. You know, he'd come here and he would come here and play left field. Obviously, uh, he's not gonna he's not gonna play right with Mookie here. But um, listen, they they don't have a bopper, you know. And and uh, it's funny that they they say that um, you know going into the playoffs they were last in the American League at home runs, and everybody said, well, that's not what the playoffs are all about. Well, in this day and age, that's what the playoffs are all about. And they um, they just haven't had you know they never really. Fully got over the loss of Ortiz, yeah. and, and you wonder what it's going to take for that finally to that, for that finally to happen. By the way, the the Farrell situation to me, uh, Mike, is is I'm not picking apart how he manages this game or that game and makes this pitching coach pitching change or not. I thought his handling of the uh, Machado situation and the cheating. To me, you almost look much worse if you didn't know that something like that was going on. I never really believe people higher up that say they didn't know anything about it or they're defended by saying, well, the manager never. I think you almost look, look like you have no respect in the dugout when that, yeah. something like that happens. And I think those two things were, frankly, an embarrassment to the Boston Red well, Sox. Well, I think the Eckersley thing was, too. And you know, the Eckersley uh, thing, and his you know. and his not standing up the price a little bit. Right. Yeah, I agree right. with you. But uh, but that again, that again brings us into the realm of today's manager. You yeah. know, um, how a guy making a couple million dollars a year or whatever he's making has to try to stand up to a guy who makes a million dollars a start. You know, I was finishing off this book project that I'm working on. I have a book coming out opening day with Steve Babineau, who's the prime local photographer and it's his, it's his 40 years of shooting Fenway and, and wow I, that sounds I like a great book stuff. yeah I got to start write the stuff around it but it was interesting I was doing a mini chapter on Bill Campbell and Bill Campbell signed the first real free agent contract in Red Sox history five years one million dollars total right. right so he got he got for five years what David Price gets for one start <laughs> so you know the game has changed there's no question about it you know uh, a Dick Williams couldn't survive in this in this uh, in this environment, and it's a it's a very delicate balance between being a player's manager and not being a player's manager. And uh, you, you hear when, when when you go into a season and the team is doing real well, oh, he just lets the guys play, you know. And then then if they go into skid, it's oh, he just lets the guys play, <laughs> you know. So it's it's kind of a double-edged sword. But uh, I don't know what's going to happen with Farrell. Uh, I know that the fans want him out. 
fans have wanted him out, you know, forever, really. Right. And every time he loses a game, every time they lose a game, it's his fault. But um, yeah, that's the that's the world that these guys live in, and they all they all know what it's all about. God, you mentioned Bill Campbell it reminded me to when Wayne Garland in 1976 left the Orioles to go to the Indians. He got two million dollars for ten years. Yep, that was the contract. Yep, uh, Heisty. Yeah, I I just look at this whole situation with these guys, and I I you know. Chris Sale thing puzzles me, especially the last few starts of the season, and then to get raked like he did in in game one, and then you... I mean I heard Dombrowski the other day on um, on MLB Radio XM, mm-hmm. and he was talking about against the Orioles he looked as good as I've seen him look, and I'm saying that was the Orioles. That's right. Where you can get f- five strikeouts right away with Davis and Trumbo. Right. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, just the whole thing, and you know, he he was brought to to Boston for just this reason, mm-hmm. uh, much the same way David Price was brought to Boston, just for this reason, and uh, it just doesn't work out. Well, you look the thing, the difference between those two pitchers. You look at Price's career record in September, mm-hmm. outstanding. Right. And granted, he has had he has had his failures in the postseason, no question. He's also pitched a few good games in the middle of that too, but. Sale now has a career record September slash October of eleven and seventeen, and you wonder if a guy who's six foot four and weighs two hundred, you know, one hundred and two pounds, uh, that maybe he just weigh, he just gets worn down. Well, I was going to say that brings into question stamina, and if you're a guy like John Farrell and you know this, is it maybe not um, to to your advantage to maybe skip him every now and then, especially when you get in the second half of the year? Well, you're in a dogfight for the division. You know, I mean, there, was, there, was, there wasn't much room for maneuverability because of the situation in the standings, number one. And number two, um, you've got to see if it's, you got to see how the guy's going to react. I mean, you know, you've got you to look, too, at, at, the, at when he was in Chicago, most of those starts in September probably didn't mean much. And you're thinking, well, he probably just, you know, he's a guy that needs to get jacked up for a big game. And then you, you send him out there, and and things things happen. You know, I think I saw a stat the other day that he had allowed eleven home runs over his previous over thirty innings. Now right. that's obviously not the guy we saw in the first half of the season. Um, I did I did I do remember commenting to people, you know, when the first half I didn't know he was this good. Why wasn't he ever this good before? Right. And the reason that his 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 career record, because it goes down slightly in August, and then it completely falls through the floor in September, and and you really, you really have to wonder. I mean, I, I, you know, Red Sox paid it a high price for him, but they got a guy who was under their control. Uh, I would make the deal again today if I had the choice, but um, you know, some guys just aren't cut out to um, you know. L- l- listen, look at look at the results of these games so far, and 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 how. Uh, you know the Klubers of the world, and all these other guys that have been that, that in the wild card. Granky Kluber yeah, and, uh, starters, and Kershaw wasn't won seven in the third inning right. total in the in the wild card game. So and then you get into a situation where CC Sabathia is on the mound yesterday, and Girardi pulls him too early. So it's again, it's a very it's a very fine line, and it really does come down to out hitting the other team, which is. Uh, which is a, a distinct change of the um, 
of the, uh, the the games, the the pressure games that we grew up with. Hey, Mike, let's let's move off the Red Sox for a couple minutes because I know you've got your eye on the tube and are watching some other things. You know, last night. Clayton Kershaw threw about 24 innings in the 24 pitches in the first inning, and then he ends up going into the seventh. They have a seven to two lead. He gives up back to back home runs to Marte and Mathis. Gives up another hit. Dave Roberts gets him. Now I'm following Twitter and some people to follow the team much more closely. Point out that Kershaw's ERA after six innings in postseason 25.50. And this year, he allowed 23 home runs all season, which was the most he's ever given up, right. despite the fact that he missed five or six weeks. Mike, I've, al- I've always heard if you're going to get this guy, get him early. I've never heard get him late. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, didn't he also have the tremendous relief appearance last year? Yeah, yeah. And, and yeah. against the Nats in game five in the ninth yeah. inning, absolutely. Yeah, but he didn't go seven that night. No, he didn't. Right. <laughs> you know, again, I mean that's that you know if you're Dave Roberts that's your horse yeah. but but you're you're in a situation the, today where every move is so heavily scrutinized it's, uh, it's... that if you come out and get him that people say guy why are you pulling Kershaw so early right. you know uh, and and maybe next time he won't I don't know but he had the luxury of having of having the lead in fact I turned it off I couldn't watch any more baseball but I, I turned it off when it was seven to one. But um, you know, it's it's uh, you're looking at guys who are supposed to be the best pitchers in their the best pitchers in their game, and and to have these people go out, you know, with the exception of a Verlander who did well, but you know, still they hit him around a little bit, mm-hmm. you know, and see what happened to Sale and what happened to Granky and and uh, what happened to uh, Severino and and what happened to uh, Kluber. Well, I wouldn't put Taiwan Walker in that in that category, but it's. Um, it's very difficult, and the, their arms are so delicate now that you just have to—you just have to—you uh, know, I hate to cliche it, but do the best you can, you know. And 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 then you bring in the right reliever or the wrong reliever, and it blows up in your face, and uh, you know. But uh, to me, the story—the story yesterday was what uh, Girardi did with that foul tip. I just can't. Uh, you know, Sabathia thing you can question. Leaving David Robertson in too long you can question. But that thing in the sixth inning, you know, basically turned the game around and then may well have ended their season. And if you see the way Sanchez reacts oh, yeah. to that, if you're Girardi, you have no other real option other than to challenge it. And I Just did, do it. I did not agree with the explanation about the why explanation you was almost worse than the, the yep. decision. decision. Yeah, I mean, well, yep. is there is there something? You're an official scorer. The, the, the umpires, what are they going to do if you take 40 seconds or 48 seconds? The thing is, he should have taken four seconds. Right. right. John Flaherty <laughs> does their post-game show, and to right. the credit of all the Yankee broadcasters last night, right. they all slammed him. Right. And, and uh, when your catcher is that emphatic, Flaherty says, and being a former catcher, uh-huh. you can hear the difference between the ball hitting the bat and the ball hitting a batting glove. Right, and Sanchez was up in a flash. I don't know if he didn't respect the kid because he's a he's a kid. Right, I don't know what the deal was, or he fell asleep, or he choked, or whatever it was. And I didn't even see. I was in the car at the time listening to John and Susan, and and I heard Susan mutter something like, "Well, I didn't see it hit him," you know, that kind of thing. And and then I was in transition from the car to the to the house, and 
and I didn't even realize that the inning is over there because the foul tip was caught on strike three. Susan was actually able to get those words in edgewise. She, well, yeah, of course. <laughs> How yeah. about anything, that? Anything to do with not not calling the game, she can. She's allowed to exactly. Talk. But uh, uh, it's mom. It's mom. Pa kettle. You can't mess with those. Guys. That's exactly but, right. But it was just. It was just. Uh, you know. It, it, I. I just. I don't get it. I just don't understand. It's an eight to three game, and that inning is over. And you know, Lindor is coming up to lead off the next inning. You know, and and. And then he stuck with Green too long. I guess I don't know. I don't know. It just, but that you know, when you when a manager messes up, it's like it's like the situation with with Farrell here, not knowing the rule about taking his DH out and letting Hanley Ramirez hit when he should. That was against Baltimore, and uh, trying to come out and take, take take out a pitcher after his pitching coach had just been out there for the same batter. You know, you wonder about these guys, and um, you know, I, I've always had a theory about that, and with. Uh, you know, I, I always say that most baseball players are dumbasses, and <laughs> and when they get older, they're still dumbasses. They're just older. <laughs> Mike, M- Mike, before we go any further, I'd like to introduce Bonza Tufa. Bonza's the man. Yeah. He already knows. He already he knows should, the truth. He should be the next voice of the Boston Red Sox, oh, but that gosh. might be a couple years away. <laughs> go ahead, well, Bonza. The voice, is, the voice is perfect. Yeah. I mean, oh, no question about it. Thank I mean, when you. He calls, when he calls an ad... I think he's the FBI when he calls because he called me. Mike Jones. I said, "No, no, no, no. This isn't Mike Jones." One of those, one of those fake IRS calls. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. I thought he was going to ask me to sign over whatever assets I do have, which is my, which probably would be my bobblehead collection. I don't know, but uh, uh, yeah, he's uh, the 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 melodious tones. Let's put it yeah. down. Hey, Mike. I want to ask you one other thing that happened with the Red Sox that caused some upset people was Eduardo Nunez's injury because he wasn't 100% healthy. Do you think that's going to affect people's perspective on not just Farrell but the management for letting Nunez play despite knowing the fact that he's not 100% healthy and now well, he's probably out for a while? You know, uh, it's, a t- it's a tough situation again because if the, if the MRI shows that it's, it's painful but he can play, now, the, the first time he tried to come back, he hit a foul ball, he fouled one off, and f- collapsed in the batter's box. Now, that said to me, the season's over. But he got up and he jogged around, and then he had to come out of the game. Now, this thing, uh, to collapse the first time he tried to run, it, it, just, it just amazes me. I mean, they, they, they had to watch him run. You know, I, I just don't, I don't know what, you know, I don't know. But, again, you're, sometimes you're going with what the player says. And when you're dealing with a designated hitter in particular, you know, you, you, uh, you, you, if he says he can go and the doctors say he can go, you know, who gets the blame? I don't know. Um, it's a very unique situation because I don't remember this ever happening to a guy where he just, you know, just blew up as soon as he tried to come back. You know, he must have run. They must have had, they, they, they must have had him stop and start and do all that kind of stuff. And I guess they, they were convinced that he could play. And, um... You know, there were people who said, how can you have Hanley Ramirez out of the lineup in the first place? And then in the second game, how do you sit Devers? You know, Devers was batting 400 against left-handed pitching. Now, granted, Keiko is a little bit above your average left-handed pitcher, but uh, Devin Marrero, seriously? You, wanna, you want your season to go down yeah. the tubes with Devin Marrero, not only in there, but not even batting ninth? Uh, 
very, very sketchy, very sketchy uh, managerial situation. There. Well, one guy who's never very sketchy is Mike Shallon. We know where he is coming from, and we appreciate your participation in the show as always, Mike. Thank Do you. Do I get a participation trophy? We can work that out. We can work like that, that out. You, you, well, and this will tell you what kind of the political spectrum I fall on. You won't get one from me. I got you. <laughs> I got you. Mike, he's you know, not on, our, listen, Mike, guys, he's not on no matter, our team. No matter what happens, no matter what the disaster, just remember, have a good time. Yeah, All exactly. Right. <laughs> Thank you I got, I got my, I got my, uh, my, my uh, what do they call paper towels. No, no question about it. All yeah, right. They're, 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 now that, you know, uh, I think it was Seth Myers who said the other night, what did, what did he think? The paper towels were a million ply? <laughs> <laughs> oh. Looks like he's got a pretty good jump shot, though. <laughs> oh yeah, well, if you remember, who, who was it? Uh, was it? Um, uh, oh, the Mooch. When the yeah. Mooch was there, he said he remembers <laughs> Donald thinking free throws with wearing an overcoat. Yeah, yeah. I by wish you'd go back to doing that. By the way, we didn't even get into Jock Jones's problems. <laughs> hey, Mike, did real? you read about those? No. The, oh. the assistant batting coach of the of the Washington Nationals was suspended before last night's game. Uh, he's he and the Nationals have been sued by a young lady for his texting out right photos, uh, nude photos yeah. of her, distributing nude photos of the oh. ex and causing uh, her to uh, suffer quote, quote general and special damages unquote. <laughs> so so let me get this straight now to, to quote George Costanza. They 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 frown on that. In, uh, <laughs> they they frown on that, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> let me let me ask you real quick before you go, Jose. You're taking, Al- you're taking from Latson's time. Uh, now. I don't care about that, <laughs> Jose Altuve. Yeah. Uh, a lot of talk about Judge. A lot of talk about you know a couple other guys, but this, Ramirez, the Ramirez yeah. in particular. But this guy to me is the MVP. Yep, I agree. Yeah. I agree. Okay. I, I think I think Judge had Judge's numbers come out the way they came out. <laughs> more balanced without that 46-game stretch, I think he would have gotten it. Right. But because of that 46-game stretch and because he did not hit the Red Sox, which is which can't be undersold, he did not hit well against Boston, yeah. uh, which could have given them the, the division, obviously. Listen, the kid had a great year. He's a rookie of the year. There's no question about that. A slam dunk. But, yeah, Altuve, fourth straight 200-hit season. Astros wire to wire. And, then you know, obviously it doesn't count because it was postseason, but – to do what he did in that first game, what a Remarkable. what a leader to, for him to put that team on his shoulders the way he does. With he, all the stars on that team, he is the guy. He's he's what Dustin Pedroia was four or five years ago with the except, Red Sox, except better, better, yeah, yeah. All right, thank you, Mike. All right, see you guys. Talk to you soon. All right, there you go, Mike Shallon. He's one of the best. He is really one of the best. Uh, writes for the New Hampshire Union Leader columnist. He also writes for the Sports Exchange which yeah. several of our friends write for the Baltimore edition of that. And he also is an official scorer out at Fenway Park, a la Jim Henneman. I wonder if he's doing the game tomorrow. Uh, should have asked should him. Have asked hey, him. Hey, uh, Stan. Yes. I have something to play for you. All right. Richard uh, Justice of MLB.com, thanks so much for being with us and lending your expertise and helping us preview the playoffs next week. Boy, I've never, you know, it's, it's really fun. I didn't, Stan didn't ask that many questions, but. You know, his questions aren't really that good. Well, you know, that's that's just the way it is, you know. When you fly solo, you try to get the best people on, and you're certainly one of the best. <laughs> I yeah. heard that. I uh-huh. heard that. 
And you know what? what I, great, you know, we had a great you show. Know what last I, week. You know what that sounded like? Huh? Like after he was off, you t- said, "Hey, can we do this uh, to prank Stan?" No, we never was, he, that. I, he actually said that live on the. Did air. That was I not was, planned. Did he think I was there? He said Stan didn't ask many questions. No, that's that's uh, that was yeah. live right off the cuff. Well, Richard will never be on this show again. <laughs> I'm sure he'll really. I'm Unless sure, I host, it. I'm sure he'll really be upset about that. That's right, because that way he'll say, "That's good." Stan's not going to call me at ten in the morning again. Do we have Mr. Latson on? Yes, sir. Bill, how are you? I'm great. How about you guys? Bill Latson of MLB.com. I just want to tell you, we ran a couple minutes over. We had Mike Shallon on. You know Mike, don't you? I do not. Okay, Mike's up in Boston. Wrote for the Boston Globe for a long time. Uh, or actually, it was the second paper, not the Globe. Yeah. The, uh, what's the second paper in Boston? The Boston Herald? Herald, I yeah. think. Yeah. He wrote for the Herald for a long time. But anyway, we were drifting a couple minutes, and, and he, I said, here's your last question. And then Heist goes, well, I need to ask you this. And I said, you're cutting into Latson's time. And Craig said, ah, I don't care about that. <laughs> that. That doesn't surprise me. Yeah, well, there you go. At, le- at least you know yeah. <laughs> going in. Well, I, I was trying to look out for you, Bill, well, you know, because well, I know I, appreciate that, I know psychologically right now these are tough times for you. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm looking out for you, too. How's those Yankees treating you? <laughs> yeah, it's uh, not good. Uh, I tell you, that was a heartbreaking uh, loss. Uh, I think the series is over. I think there's no way the Yankees are going to come back from that and you know what you know the the bullpen which which was supposed to be their strength is now a weakness so um that's not good um mike shallon who's an official scorer uh, at fenway park in addition to being a columnist uh, these days for the new hampshire union leader uh was really adamant that uh, girardi really blew uh, a significant challenge there I totally agree. It was clear. It was clear that uh, the ball hit the bat and went into, uh, you know, it went to into the glove. And you know, I mean, I don't know why he didn't challenge it. I thought his his excuse was not a good one. I mean, yeah. here was uh, the catcher telling him that, hey, hey, it hit the hit the bat. And then Girardi didn't challenge. It. He should have. Well, should've. his excuse and and Stan put it pretty well. He says his excuse was almost as bad, if not worse, than the decision not to challenge. I think once you don't challenge there and then it comes back to bite you, I think you almost have to own up like I made a mistake. You know, and yeah. Buck, Buck did sort of the same thing last year with the, the Zach Britton thing. He ended up telling the New York Times writer, he said, I'll be glad to talk to you in my office about this. I mean, he just should have come out and said, I kind of I got caught up, I, I misjudged something. You sound better than sort of like a lame excuse. Yes. Yeah. No, no doubt. I mean, uh, I, I got to tell you, um, what was so bad to me was that they had a big lead. They had a big lead. And, you know, and even though, um, you know, Lindor's Grand Slam did not, you know, uh, tie the game in any way, I thought that was the, the turning point of the game with that Grand Slam. Well, you know, even with a grand slam, you're still up eight to seven at that point, and they get the four runs in the sixth inning, and then uh, Jay Bruce, and all of a sudden, for all those people that said the Yankees should really look into that Jay Bruce guy, yeah, <laughs> and 
Well, I heard the Indians last night tweeted out that we acquired. Did you hear about this? The Cleveland, no, I did not. the Cleveland Indians official Twitter site sent out that the the uh, Indians acquired Jay Bruce because their owner would write a check that other and it was pointed at the Yankees that the other owners wouldn't weren't willing to write. Right. Yeah. Right. That, that that's something though, yeah. and you know I got to tell you though I think ever since he became a Met. I think Jay Bruce has become a better hitter than mm-hmm. he was in Cincinnati because, you know, he doesn't strike out as much. I mean, like, I thought he was uh, Adam Dunn Jr. when I first saw him. Right. But not anymore. I just think he's a clutch player. He's proven that um, ever since he's been with the Mets. So this, this is not just starting. I mean, I saw right. the improvement there. We're talking with Bill Latson of MLB.com and uh, Bill – these series, uh, in your estimation, uh, the only one that in my – well, I mean, the, the Arizona Diamondbacks have a pretty good pitcher going tonight in Robbie Ray, but it it, mm-hmm. it just smelled last night like the, that the Dodgers really hadn't taken the Diamondbacks that seriously in those six games because they were coasting, and now the playoffs were on and we're going to show, show our stuff. Yeah, I mean um... – Again, so far, so good. I mean, I've said this before. The Diamondbacks uh, scare me because, uh, you know, it, it, it's because of uh, their pitching staff. And I think, um, you know, their pitching staff will be, you know, will be pretty good against the Dodgers, I think. Hey, and Bill, in, in, you, you know, the team that you used to cover, the Nationals, uh, they go out, they get a great effort from Steven Strasburg, and if somebody tells you he's going to go out and strike out 10 – and uh, not throw give five, throw, five throw, no throw, hit throw five plus no hit innings. Uh, you got to win that game, but they could not muster anything offensively off of Kyle Hendricks last night, who only gave up the two hits, but uh, struck out six in his own right. But boy, I mean, soft contact and uh, Trey Turner goes over four at the top of the lineup. Ryan Zimmerman goes over four, hit into a double play. There just mm-hmm. weren't enough chances last night for the Nationals because they couldn't muster anything off Hendricks. No, not, not at all. And you know what, though? You can't blame that on Dusty Baker. And no. I know someone is going to blame Dusty Baker for it. I mean, you had your best lineup, and suddenly uh, you couldn't, you really couldn't get on base. I mean, two hits after the second I mean, um, you know, before the second inning, and you can, you couldn't get anything else after that. So, And there's no question that this really, to me, is a must-win today because you no want you, you to have that thing tied up at 1-1 going back to Chicago to hopefully force a game five back in Washington. And that's part of the problem with moving Max Scherzer uh, to the start on Monday in Chicago in game three is that – you know, Geo better be right today, and he better yep. be the Geo we've seen most of the year, and not maybe the two or three starts, uh, the final two or three starts that he had in September. Well, you know what, though, you know, my, I, I'm still like, uh, I'm being honest about this. I'm not uh, convinced that Geo was the guy. I'm not convinced because I just remember what he did in the postseason, and they were not good. And I hope we don't see. That same guy that we saw during the postseason in 12 uh, in, and 14 and, and 15 as well. So hopefully it will be different. 
You know, it's amazing. You you worked and covered the Nationals for a number of years, and Craig has. It, there always seems like there's, no matter how good they get, there seems like there's always something related to an injury. And it's interesting that Scherzer, and I'm taking nothing away from Strasburg, but you just ideally don't want to have to go wait till game three of a five-game series to get your uh-huh. best to get your best pitcher on the hill. Yeah, and he's their best one. And yeah, you want him to be the game one starter, but you know, it's unfortunate he had the, the hamstring problems. Yep. And, uh, and you know, we, and, and, you and, and we don't know for a, right. Bill, we don't know for a fact he couldn't come out Monday and strain that ham, restrain that hamstring. The first inning or second inning, you know. Yeah, I, I you know, I, I don't know what the deal is with that, but, you know, all I know is that they need great uh, starting pitching from, you know, Gio and then yep. Scherzer, and hopefully uh, they can get it done. But the hitting's got to get together, too. Well, I, I think I think uh, pretty much Steven Strasburg put to rest any kind of notion uh, that he's not ready for prime time because he was pretty pretty remarkable last night. Mm-hmm. Yes, he was. And, uh, you know, the area, he didn't have good defense behind him either, so that didn't help. Well, and that's the whole thing. Uh, give give the Cubs a lot of credit last night. Uh, we we were sitting in the press box, and myself and Phil Wood and a few others, and we're looking and saying the longer that pitching duel went on and it got to be scoreless into the fifth, and then it's scoreless after five, and we're looking and saying to each other, you know, something like a ball hitting the base, a miscue in the infield, that's going to determine this thing. And sure enough, Rendon gets a ball hit down the line, and for as good as Anthony is as a third baseman, he just dropped the ball on the transfer, and uh, that gave the Cubs the opening that they needed because they then throughout the rest of the game got three two-strike, two-out hits to score runs. And... When you're doing that, you're coming through in the clutch, and that's, those are big, big hits in postseason play. I'm also impressed with uh, Rizzo. Rizzo yeah. is outstanding, going the other way, choking up. Um, you know, I mean, you can't blame Strasburg for this. I no. Mean, you just uh, – it's just lack of hitting, and, and the defense just went bad on you. Yeah. Uh, what do you see uh, in, in terms of that Red Sox series with the Astros, Bill, and, you know, and the fact that – uh, you know, Sale gets pretty much lit up in the first game. Uh, Pomerantz can't get past two, or he did get past two, but he gave up four runs. And then the bullpen uh, uh, between Rodriguez and and also uh, uh, who came in after Rodriguez? I can't remember. Uh, Reed. Addison. Uh, yeah, Addison Reed. Uh, they wind up giving up four runs total uh, in just a third of an inning. So, I mean, that's a – that's a tough way to go if you're John Farrell and, and the Red Sox, and it looks like things are really crumbling for them. That series is over, I think. Um, I, I just think if you, if you look at the Astros and compare them to when they were in the postseason two years ago, I, I think there's an arrogance to them now. Uh, I think they're, they're so confident now. I, I think there's no way they're going to be stopped. Even by the Indians. You know what? That, that's going to be a great series. I think that's series. the series of the the series of the postseason to me is Houston yeah. Cleveland. Yeah, I yeah. mean, yeah, I, I think it's going to be tough. I think it's going to go seven games. And you know what? I, I think uh, the I really believe the Astros can win. Well, certainly the addition 
of Verlander that that team really kind of pushed them over the hump. If you think about back to the uh, back to the trade deadline uh-huh. where Dallas Keuchel right. was spouting off about management not going out and getting anything, and then they get toward the end of August, and then Verlander is is ready to be you know acquired in the deal, and then Keuchel all of a sudden is saying, well. Uh, I'm not so sure I like this because I'm not the number one guy anymore. Uh, but, right. but he has to swallow his pride. And to, he's got to his, not to only swallow credit, his pride, he's got to go out and be Dallas Keuchel right. again. Right, and to his credit, he right. was in his start in this series. So from that standpoint, it worked out. And I'm telling you, if you're throwing Verlander in a game one and Keuchel in game two, yeah, that's, that's, that's a, a pretty good, good that's a pretty good one-two punch. Hey, Bill, no are, are you familiar? I, I know you're doing nationals coverage, not nationals, national coverage on MLB.com. I thought our listeners, if you happen to know, uh, when Trevor Bauer was originally an Arizona Diamondback, uh, you know, rookie. He was not good. He was not good, and he wasn't well-liked, and he was very arrogant. He's really grown up a tremendous amount under Terry Francona. Yeah, he's far from the guy that we saw, you know, in uh, Arizona, Arizona and you know, Terry Francona, I mean, I've told to Craig, Terry Francona's a genius. Yep. He knows what to do with his <laughs> players. And, uh, you know, when they hired him, I'm going to tell you, man, they, they really turned things around when they hired him. And he, he's going to the Hall of Fame, too. Well, and the other part about it is, and, and we discussed this a little earlier, what makes him so good is that he's adapted to different situations. I mean, managing the game – all the same parameters kind of apply no matter what team you're at or what city you're in in terms of the game itself. But when you can manage in Boston with that media and that scrutiny up there and then turn mm-hmm. around and go to Cleveland and put together, right. put together a team that, he's, you know, that he and the management have assembled and get the most uh-huh. out of players, some guys that you wouldn't have thought would perform like they did, uh, that says a lot about the manager. I I, I don't pat right. myself on the back a, an awful lot, but I'll, I know one thing. I was not on the air when uh, Lee Mazzilli was hired by the Baltimore Orioles, mm-hmm. but I was the only one that was talking about and writing about Terry Francona should have been hired by the and, Orioles. In, and what was that, 2003? 2003, and yeah. I remember I remember because – That's 2005, actually. 2005 they hired Mazzilli? Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah but, I, well, I, but the interview took place after the 04 season and the right. off season. Right, And I remember well, – after 04 is for the 05 season, right, not exactly. the 03 season. But what I right. meant by that is the fact that we had access, the yeah. media – to, to all, all those the managers candidates. who came in to be interviewed for that job. And I remember – He was uh, the when, most impressive. He was the most impressive. But asking him later about that, right. he said he knew he mm-hmm. didn't have the job. Right. He yeah. said he knew he wasn't going to get the job. Right. Right. So – But it's unbelievable to me they hired Lee Mazzilli over that guy. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. Mike yeah. Flanagan – with all due respect to the late Mike Flanagan, he said, didn't he say he blew me away in the interview? Mm-hmm. What, with his good looks? I don't know. I mean, you know. <laughs> all right. Yeah. Anyway, um, tell me tell me this. Zach Greinke gets pounded pretty hard. Corey Kluber gets pounded pretty hard. Um, who am I leaving out now? I've got there's four or five. Kershaw didn't look that good. Chris Sale mm-hmm. didn't look that good. Is it just that when great pitching faces great hitting and it's this late in the season that they just don't have what they had? 
No, I just think it's just the list the way it goes. It's just uh, you know one day thing, and uh, I you know I just I cannot say they're not good. I cannot say they're not good. Yeah. I think they are going to do much better in the next start, and we just take it from there. That's the only thing I can say. Well, Sale may not get another start, and Doug Fister is pitching to try to save the Red Sox season. Now, you and I covered Fister when he was in D.C., and we know that if he's, you know, if he's on, if he's on, he's commanding the strike zone, keeping the ball down, and get a lot of ground balls. Uh-huh. Uh, so that's what's going to have to happen if they're going to survive and, and force a game four. Right. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And, uh, you know, I mean, with that team, though, I just don't think they – they're gonna they're gonna be used to. It. I think it's over by yeah. game three, and then they'll just move on. Got to ask you one more question about the Red Sox before we go. It's pretty astounding what's happened to Chris Sale, and we know what's happened to David Price. Both the injuries, his blow up with Dennis Eckersley in the media in Boston. We know all about that. Maybe the strangest case of all is Rick Porcello, though, who goes from Cy Young Award winner to now being a mop-up man in one season. That's pretty amazing that Doug Fister is starting over the reigning Cy Young Award winner, isn't it? Yes, and, uh, you know, it's not the first time I've seen that happen, go from Cy Young to Cy Yonara. I've, I've seen it many <laughs> times. Um, you know, I'm talking about Sparky Lyle. Sparky Lyle was a Cy Young Award winner with the 77 Yankees, and then the next year they picked up Goose Cossage and, you know, things were never the same for Sparky Lyle. But, um, you know, in terms of uh, Fister, yes, I agree that, uh, you know, Fister, you know, he's been not the same pitcher he was two or three years ago, but uh, he's their best option. I mean, you talk about Barcelo, Barcelo's been bad all year. Yeah. So you can't take a chance. Yeah. You know, even though he was a Cy Young Award winner, you just can't take the chance of using him. I'm, I'm sitting next to Phil Wood last night in the press box at the Nats game. And it's about the third inning. I was telling you this story a little earlier, and and I so one of you knew a lot about baseball, right? Yeah. I don't know what the I don't know what the hell Phil's problem is. But, uh, no, uh, and we're sitting there, and I knew the Yankees were up eight to three. They were up big, and we're sitting there watching, uh, you know, Strasburg and, and 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 Hendricks go at it back and forth. It's really intriguing. Yeah, it was a great matchup. Great matchup. Great pitching, and then all of a sudden. A I am pops up on my screen that says, "Damn it!" <laughs> so I immediately, I immediately see it's from Latson, and then I immediately said, "Well, let's see what the Yankees are doing." And then it was eight yeah. to seven. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, Bill, we always appreciate you coming on. Uh, you always lend a, a little bit of sanity to the program. Thank you again. Thank you so much. Friend. I appreciate don't, that. Don't forget to tell him where, uh, tell everybody where they can find his stuff. MLB.com Newsmakers, correct? Co- correct. That's what do you correct. got? What do you got up there now? Anything interesting? Well, you know, I had, uh, you know, um, have you I done the piece? Had, have you done the piece about the bat around yet? No, I have not. Yeah, well, I had, yeah. Uh, yeah. That would help yeah, us I, a little bit. <laughs> I, I had uh, Dylan Batanzas. Yeah. I had Chad Green. And, uh, you know, Richard Justice is, is a regular on my show. So it's great to, to have him on the show. It's a good thing. I don't care for Richard Justice. It, it, well, you know any, why? Do you have that? Yeah, I, I don't care. Hey, hey Bill. Oh, hold on, Bill, Bill. listen to this. This is why I don't care this, for Richard this, Justice. This. I was off for the Jewish holidays last week. And listen how Richard stabs me in the back. <laughs> 
boy, I never. Oh, man. Listen. I didn't stand and ask that many questions, but, you know, his questions aren't really that good. So. Well, you know, that's that's just the way it is. You hear that? <laughs> you hear that? He doesn't have the, the guts to stand up to me face-to-face or phone-to-phone. But when he's behind my back, he stabbed me pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he is he is one of the best. There's no question about it. As are you. And I got to be honest with you. MLB.com has got some of the best baseball writers in this country. There's no question yes, about do. it. Yeah. Appreciate it again. Thanks a lot. Thanks All for right. having me. Bill Latson, MLB.com newsmakers. I won't, I won't be getting a text from him today because there's no game between the Yankees <laughs> and the Indians well, today. Maybe you should text him and ask him what the score is oh, yeah, about right. 8 yeah. o'clock tonight. All right, we'll be back. Our final guest of the show, Andy Dulwich, joins us, a sports business consultant and a former big league executive in all four major sports. He chimes in about the new location for the Oakland A's stadium, Peralta College in Oakland, California. Members of the GCR community, they're telling me about their experiences at Full Circle Tire and Auto. Steve Barry, why did you take your vehicle to Full Circle? I saw a uh, service plate on the dashboard, and I called the dealership, and they told me it was going to be about $200 to do it, and I heard the commercial for Full Circle Tire and Auto, and I called them, and they told me that they could save me even more money than I thought. They were about $100 less, and it turns out that they didn't have the correct fluid for the car, so they actually went to the dealership and got it, and didn't charge me any extra for it. And that's not all they did for you, was it? About a week and a half later, they sent a personalized thank you card from Amy and the team. They signed it, and it's actually really nice, something I've never experienced before. That's the difference at Full Circle Tire and Auto, 410 Six seven six two two seven seven. That's four one zero six seven six cars. Thirteen zero four Governor's Court, Unit one ten in Abingdon, and FullCircleTireandAuto.com. Guys, can you believe that we've been in Section three thirty six for twenty five years? Well, yeah, twenty fifth anniversary of Cannon Yard. Yeah, we've been in Section three thirty six. Well, I mean, technically, are we? Well, technically, we're in three three four. No, no, no. Section three thirty six. We're in Section three thirty six. Yeah, like our podcast, that's who we are. We're section 336. Every Monday night. Every Monday night, yeah. But, you know, when we go to the stadium, we tend to sit in 334. But the ticket's screwed up. We're just, we can touch section 336. I walk past, I say hi to Ryan in section 336. Yeah, and when we say hi to Ryan, we can talk Orioles because we always do here on the show, section 336. Yeah, so section 336. Section 336. That's where we are. Just lie to him. Press box. Find Section 336 at the podcast tab at PressBoxOnline.com or by going to iTunes or Section336.com. Join us for Jim McKay, Maryland Million Day on Saturday, October 21st at Laurel Park. Come with friends and family to Maryland's Day at the Races, a celebration of Maryland's horses and lots of fun for all ages. First race is at 1215 with 11 exciting races. Don't miss the first annual hat contest, three categories and wonderful prizes. It will be fun for all at Laurel Park on Saturday, October 21st. For more information, visit MarylandMillion.com or MarylandRacing.com. Hey, it's Glenn, and you might not know this, but we actually have a great wrestling podcast. Well, it's an okay wrestling podcast. No, 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 don't sell us short, Glenn. This podcast involves the main event, AJ Francis. That means it is the best wrestling podcast. Look, just just because you're bigger than us does not mean you're better than us. It does not mean you're the main event. The brains are the one that brings people to the table when it comes to podcasts, so it's me who brings people to job and out. Are you kidding me? Aaron Oster from the Baltimore Sun and Rolling Stone, you're the worst. Literally the worst. Like, no one has ever tuned in for your opinion. Got real, real, (laughs) real quick. It's jobbing out. Glenn Clark, Aaron. Aaron Oster and AJ Francis of the Washington Redskins. He Terp. Every week we're talking pro wrestling. You can find it by going to Jobbing Out on iTunes or SoundCloud or by clicking on the podcast tab at PressBoxOnline.com. 
PressBox's Project Game Day is back at halftime of every game. Glenn Clark goes live on PressBox's Facebook page to chat about how the Ravens have performed thus far. And after the game, Glenn is joined by the NFL chick Sarita Hubbard to break down all aspects of what went right or wrong for Baltimore. Watch live at Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports. Project Game Day is presented by ParXL and also brought to you by the U.S. Army. We'll see you for Project Game Day. Kyle, here's the thing. Since we're streaming live now every day at Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports, video-wise, I'm going to need you to step your game up when it comes to what you wear to work every day from 10 to noon. Uh, I hear you. I mean, I, I'm, they can't see my legs. I can still wear the chaps. Okay, that's fine. I just don't understand for me why they have to be assless chaps. I have the chaps that I have. Okay. And I have the toes that I have. This is what we do every day from 10 to noon. Glenn Clark, Kyle Ottenheimer for Glenn Clark Radio. I'm not sure that you'll learn anything. I'm not sure that you'll ever really be entertained. But afterwards, it's going to be a pleasant experience for all involved. How does that work? Yeah, don't worry about it. Glenn Clark Radio and Facebook.com slash Sports. If you like great food and baseball, you have to visit Big Bats Cafe, located just over the Bay Bridge in Kent Island. Take the first exit to 216 St. Clair Place. Big Bats is a winner of the Golden Anchor Award and voted Best Burgers and Wings. It's like visiting Cooperstown, but with food. Check them out at BigBats.com, one of my favorite places, and Craig can attest to how good the food is there. I can indeed. I have a T-shirt. How good is the food? Huh? How good is the Been food? Been there, done that, got the T-shirt. All right. <laughs> Joining us now is a an old friend, and I don't mean old as in the age, but longtime friend, uh, sports business consultant and a former executive in all four major sports. That's Andy Dolich. He joins us from his, uh, from his place in the Bay Area in San Francisco and Oakland. How are you, Andy Dolich? I'm I'm great. I'm old and an old friend. I was going to say. And, I was going to say. Old, and your old friend David Rubenstein and I actually hit the little white ball around the other day. I was going to say, I told Andy. Them I would be on with you. So here we go. I was going to say, Andy, you got to be careful when he starts qualifying things. <laughs> yeah, well, he's unqualified. There you go. This was the only job I could get that, where I'm qualified. Hey, hang on a second. Make sure you get that, that sound bite as well. <laughs> Unqualified. The unqualified. Only 50% of the people in that studio are unqualified. Yeah, yeah. That's right. Andy Dolich joins us. Andy, it's always great to talk to you, and I I find sports business fascinating, and I find this uh, uh, site selection process out in the Bay Area for the Oakland A's, uh, who now will have the market essentially to themselves, I find it fascinating that of all the locations, they have picked out a tiny college campus, Peralta College in Oakland, uh, as the home of their new stadium. Guys, it's, it's not, not even a campus. It's very, it's very confusing. Okay. So there is a series of schools called the Peralta Colleges here. Okay. But this is just the administrative offices of Peralta College. Across the street, there is a place called Laney College, and in a bit of history, they have a football field called Frank Ewell Field, where the Oakland Raiders played when we first moved to Oakland. 
some people thought they should move there instead of moving to Vegas, but we'll get to that a bit later. Okay. So the A's, the A's had three choices. One was the existing Coliseum site, where the A's and the Raiders and the Warriors play now, the only location in North America, actually, in one place where three professional teams play, and the last stadium that's shared between an NFL and a Major League Baseball team. Then there's a location called Howard Terminal, which is essentially the port of Oakland, and probably has more toxics than Area 51 in Las Vegas. So... (laughs) That was ruled out pretty quickly. Unfortunately, that was the favorite site of the mayor. Okay. And uh, the A's made a decision, which very few people still understand, that the Coliseum wasn't cool, so they had to go to something a bit different. Now, Peralta is closer to the city of Oakland, and Oakland, like Baltimore, has a lot of positives going for it. There's a lake about mm, a mile away called Lake Merritt, which is used by a lot of the citizens to uh, recreate and enjoy. And Oakland is going through a significant uptick just because of the whole real estate craziness in the Bay Area, and Oakland's affordable. Um, But this Peralta site is right near 880. I mean, literally, home plate would be about six or 700 feet from one of the busiest Um, interstates in California, it's got toxic situations of its own, and just right after the A's decided that this was their location, the Audubon Society. Now, you guys have a lot of experience with birds in Baltimore, right? Yeah, we've got the (laughs) Ravens and the Orioles, yes. (laughs) The Audubon Society came out 100% against the site because... There is an estuary, uh, which has a lot of wildlife, and it's sort of an incubator, um, a nursery for a lot of uh, fish and for birds. So when this decision was made um, a month ago, the A's celebrated it. Mm -hmm. But there was one major factor that I didn't quite understand. The A's don't own the property, and they don't currently have a lease on the property. And to to just put a, a period on this, the A's have said that if everything goes well, they'll be playing games here in 2023. Well, with today's nanosecond attention span, people in the Bay Area, they get bored if you can't tell them what they're going to do Monday afternoon, let alone 2023. That's That seems like a, a far piece of uh, time travel, six years down the road to go from start to finish on a project like this. Well, guys, here's here's the way I put it. I don't know if you've read this, but Elon Musk, who's sort of today's Leonardo da Vinci or Thomas Edison, he stated last week that his Mars mission, his rocket to Mars, would be launched in 2022. Right. And it occurred to me that the A's said they'd be playing in 2023, so... I think I'm going to start a sweepstakes in the Bay Area. Who will go first? Who will actually succeed first? One of the things that has been great about some of the new stadium sites that we see across the country is the revitalization of downtown areas. How is this going to affect that particular area that they're talking about? 
I mean, I, I know you mentioned the thing about the Audubon Society and things of that nature, but how is this? What what is it about the this, economic development? The economic development. What is it about this site that will lend? Uh, and, and that's going to be the key. And that's going to be the key. Thing. Yeah. Right. Well, Camden Yards and Inner Harbor is really the model that has led so many teams um, to do the same thing. I mean, out here, the outstanding example is AT&T Park and what the Giants have done, and it is a gem. Um, What the A's are looking at is that Oakland is, as I said, in a significant growth period. A lot of millennials are moving to the city because of the continued expansion of the tech sector, and they can't afford to live in San Francisco. And so that is happening uh, as we speak. Now, that part of the city, which you could walk from to this particular proposed site, would enhance the living experience. However, the hurdles are significant. And the the current A's site, uh, where they play at the Coliseum, has great transportation. It has the Bayer Rapid Transit System. It has an airport connector. The airport is only two and a half miles away, if it's that. Um, It's got great interstates. So people are scratching their head why this site is any better. Visually, it, it isn't because, again, one of Oakland's great problems is the Route um, 880 cuts the city off from the Oakland estuary. And, you know, everybody talks about these beautiful views, but um, a lot of the view is going to be of an interstate and bumper-to-bumper traffic. And when you talk about ball games, many ball games starting at 7 or 7.30, that's when you're in complete gridlock. So there's going to have to be a whole transportation addition, which is also going to cost hundreds of millions of dollars. And what hasn't been stated is how much of the infrastructure costs, nobody ever spends time thinking about infrastructure costs, how much are the A's going to pick up and how much are they going to ask the city to pick up? And the city and the county have gone on record saying they're more than willing to pick up 0%. That's a, that's a good percent. Infrastructure yeah. costs, right. Andy, let me let me take this to a different point, and that is you use the expression about the current site not being cool. You and I have discussed this on the air and off the air that cool really is synonymous with the economic development. In other words, that's what's cool to the right. A's and prospective developers here. This seems like this may be one of the first projects – I guess the Los Angeles, the new football stadium, is is one that jumps out as well. But where the baseball almost seems like is going to be secondary to the development. In other words, Camden Yards was a baseball stadium that was Correct. meant to, that was meant to be in a place where there was great hope for economic uh, re- regeneration, revitalization. revitalization. Yeah. This seems mm-hmm. like the whole game plan is about the economic rejuvenation, and baseball is, oh, that'll, that'll fit in here. It's like donut holes. You guys are absolutely right. Um, you know, donut holes can be tasty, but more, uh, you know, you chew. They have, a lot of worthless, the they have a lot of worthless calories. Yeah, 
you, you chew more on what is the donut. And in this case, um, yeah, they're talking about all the economic development, what they can build in residential housing, what retail could go in there. And if you look at the example of AT&T, when the Giants built originally Pac Bell Park, there was nothing there other than the stadium. And that economic development came later, and that area really is quite magnificent right now. And the Warriors' new arena, Chase Center, which opens in 2019 and is already under construction, isn't far away. So that part of the city has really grown in incredible fashion. The same circumstance could have happened at the existing Coliseum site. Mm -hmm. But the Raiders had no money, so they couldn't develop it, and that's why they went on their... Raiders of the Lost Park for 10 years until they found the Vegas money. We can talk about Vegas in a second. And the A's, from the very get-go, they've been looking for a new place for 12 years under the ownership of John Fisher, and they ultimately have turned their back on the Coliseum, which they could develop now that, as you said early on, they're the last team standing. But for some sort of inexplicable reason, they have decided you know, to move to another site. And again, when you talk about 2023, uh, it just doesn't resonate with a lot of people, although their president, Dave you know, Cobble, has really talked very aggressively, enthusiastically, that this is going to be a miraculous site. He used the word... Um, uh, he used the word uh, entrepreneurial um, frontierism, and I've not really heard that term before in professional sports. In terms of atten attendance, uh, this proposed site, is that going to be... It's going to be about 34,000? Well, well, yeah, but I'm not necessarily the size. Oh, I'm not worried about necessarily the size of the park. But and the attendance, you know, the capacity of the park. But in terms of, we know what the attendance is like for Oakland A's games at the Coliseum. Right. How is this new site going to improve, if it will, attendance? How many people come to A's games now? It's sort of oxymoronic. Again, Dave Koppel was quoted in the San Francisco papers. He did an editorial visit um, a few days ago, and he said. Uh, 50,000 seats aren't necessary. That's 50 years ago in baseball. Well, without being too cynical, um, if you want to host an all-star game, if you're looking at postseason play, then 34,000 people, that makes no sense whatsoever. And, you know, what I would say is the A's, uh, forget about 50 years ago, I mean, the A's haven't, essentially drawn much in the last 12 years you know they had that one or really two really since really season. since Rubenstein left right the greatest season ticket salesperson in the history of organized sports <laughs> yes. make sure you put that on tape and send it to him <laughs> yes um, but it, it it again it's a, it's a point that just isn't logical why are you going to build an essentially tiny stadium right if you're talking about i mean billy bean has been very aggressive and david force have been very aggressive about we're building this team with young players this is going to be our core 
But again, if you go to 2023, a lot of those players, let's take Chris Davis, right? Right. Who a lot of people don't know about, but I think hit 43 home runs this year. I mean, he's a bomber. And if I look at what we did with McGuire and Conseco and a lot of those other players, that helped build our success that got us to the point of averaging 2.5 million fans a game and getting close to 3 million. So the arguments to go small work against the argument of we're going to be back and we're going to try to win championships a game. Why would you extract 15,000 people from the agree Totally. You know, it's interesting. A city like Pittsburgh, I can understand why they chose to go smaller, but with the, you know, with the basic, uh, what's it called? You know, the population out in the Bay Area and the the, the loyal fan base. Six and a half million people and good, better, and different. The disposable income in the Bay Area is immense. And I always laugh. There were a number of years that the A's and the Giants both fielded really good teams. And there were several years in there, guys, that the A's and the Giants outdrew New York and Chicago, um, and people would go, no, that's impossible. Well, you could look it up. We did. You know, three, six yep. million plus for the two teams. We're talking with Andy Dolich. Andy is a uh, sports business consultant. He has worked as an executive in all four major sports. He lives in the San Francisco Bay Area. Andy, I know from the things you sent me that you're posing some of these questions publicly out there. Uh, is this thing a fait accompli? Uh, I think once you start getting into the cost for the infrastructure and the traffic remediation and those kind of things, that this may really change the reality of this. I think we need to alert the media. When Stan the Fan uses fait accompli, I'm, I'm not exactly sure if that's a sign of the apocalypse or that you're doing a lot of further education since I first met you. Probably a little of both. Yeah. I've done a lot of things since I first met you, Andy. And we won't get into that, that on you, the air. I didn't know that you spoke fluent French. It must be coming from your partner. Um, but, we. But anyway, <laughs> we. Yeah, uh, yeah, the two of you, we. Um, so, so it's, you know, you, you ask a question, uh, you know, is it a done deal? The Warriors are a done deal yep. under construction. Uh, the A's, again, as I said, this is a desire they have. Right. How do you say this is the place that we're going to build and you don't yet own the land and you don't have a lease on the land? If I'm the landowner, which is the Peralta Colleges, I'm the happiest, smiliest person in the world because... You've just gained some leverage in negotiations, right, yeah. (laughs) My negotiating position has just gone up by tens or hundreds of millions of dollars. Um, We'll wait and see. I mean, if you look back, the A's said they absolutely positively were moving to Fremont, which is about 15, 20 miles south of Oakland, and they had a corporate sponsor, Cisco, the big, uh, mm-hmm. the big firm in technology, and they were moving to Cisco Field. Well, that never happened. Artist renderings. I always wanted to create the artist rendering sports venue Hall of Fame <laughs> for all these places that never got built. Then they were going to move to downtown San Jose in a place called Diradon Station. 
that never happened because the Giants have a territorial block. And they've talked about several other locations in and around the Coliseum, including Coliseum City, which never got off the ground. It wasn't their idea. It was the city's. So I think there's still a big question mark. And I would also add into that, you know, the Raiders have said they're absolutely going to play in a dome stadium uh, that's going to cost $2 billion in Vegas. Now, the positive factors, they got $750 million from the state and the city. They've got the $650 million that the NFL has helped them get, and they've said they're gone. But while they've said that, they're also negotiating a two-year lease extension at the Coliseum. So their lease ends, guys, at the end of next football season. Right. And they're negotiating two more years because their Vegas deal, they haven't even absolutely signed the actual location and hmm. all the the legal papers in which they're going to build. And... I would just say, in light of the horrific, um, senseless, you know, murders um, in Las Vegas, right? That city now has so many other questions that it needs to answer. I mean, it's built on tourism, and we've seen just in the last week all of the additional precautions that hotels are going to need to take in that city to keep its number one business um, thriving. And so if I'm a politician in Nevada or Las Vegas, and I realize that we're given $750 million in development based upon people staying in hotel rooms to a football team, I'm scratching my head a bit on that. I, Um, I think that's an interesting assessment, Andy. So, I mean, we'll only see what happens in the future, but the Raiders are going to be in Oakland for at least the next four years. And again, if we look at their history of all the places that they've actually moved to, Los Angeles, (laughs) moved to Oakland from Los Angeles after they moved from Oakland to L.A., I'm not ready to say that, as you put it so well en français, it's a fait accompli. All right, there you hear it, Andy Dolich. I just hope that it gets done and gets done in a, a reasonable fashion because uh, the A's belong in Oakland, and uh, like I said before, that Coliseum, uh, to me, uh, back when I was covering the Orioles and went out there quite a bit, and it's one of the best places to watch baseball before before the Raiders before moved the back. well no yeah before the Raiders moved back and they built that uh, Mount Davis in center field. Well, here's my dream. I know it's not going to happen because it's only a dream, but the Raiders could. The Raiders do have some money, and the league has said they would assist them. They could take the existing shared stadium and basically remodel it into a fantastic football-only mm-hmm. stadium. Let's call it the Al Davis Stadium, um, and do that in two years where the Raiders could play at Levi's, which is what the league originally wanted them to do. And we see the success of the two-team model in New York, and we're going to see it eventually in in Los Angeles. That's what the NFL wanted. So that's a possibility. And then the A's, at the same time, um, they could share AT&T while they're building a new baseball stadium on the Coliseum site because there's more than enough room. Will that happen? 
Probably not, yep. uh, but only time will tell, guys. All right, stay tuned. Andy Dolich, many thanks. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Uh, say hi to all my friends uh, in Baltimore. All right, my friend. Thank you. There he goes, Andy Dolich. Going to wrap things up uh, after the next break? That's exactly what we're going to do. We're going to wrap things up after this last break. I actually want to play something first. Okay. Next week. Boy, I've never, you know, it's, it's really fun. I didn't stand it and ask that many questions, but, you know, his questions aren't really that good. Well, you know, that's that's just the way it is, you know. When you fly solo, you try to get the best people on, and you're certainly one of the best. <laughs> Join us for Jim McKay, Maryland Million Day on Saturday, October 21st at Laurel Park. Come with friends and family to Maryland's Day at the Races, a celebration of Maryland's horses and lots of fun for all ages. First race is at 12.15 with 11 exciting races. Don't miss the first annual hat contest. Three categories and wonderful prizes. It will be fun for all at Laurel Park on Saturday, October 21st. For more information, visit MarylandMillion.com or MarylandRacing.com. The latest edition of Press Box is available now. On the cover, Luke Jackson looks at the contrast in College Park as Maryland football coach DJ Durkin overhauls the Terps culture in his second season at the helm. Plus, Stan the Fan Charles makes suggestions on how to fix the Orioles pitching rotation for 2018. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. You can also find the entire edition as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. Many people know about Goodwill through donating clothes and furniture. Did you know that Goodwill also accepts vehicle donations? Goodwill accepts vehicles in running or non-running condition. When you donate a vehicle, you can steer clear of all of the headaches associated with trying to sell a car yourself. It's fast, simple, and reliable, and you also receive a tax deduction. When you donate to Goodwill, know that your donation is being used to help someone find a job. Last year, we provided job training services to people in need of assistance because of physical, mental, or other social barriers and placed over 3,000 into jobs. To donate your vehicle to Goodwill, visit givethegoodwill.org or call 866-492-2770. That's givethegoodwill.org, 866-492-2770. Press Box's Project Game Day is back at halftime of every game. Glenn Clark goes live on Press Box's Facebook page to chat about how the Ravens have performed thus far. And after the game... Glenn is joined by the NFL chick, Sarita Hubbard, to break down all aspects of what went right or wrong for Baltimore. Watch live at Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports. Project Game Day is presented by ParXL and also brought to you by the U.S. Army. We'll see you for Project Game Day. Great news! Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square has a brand new catering delivery truck. Order your next office party platter from Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square and Steve and his crew will bring your chicken piping hot in the all-new Chick-fil-A delivery van. You'll salivate when you see it pull up. Office party, birthday celebration, family gathering, Chick-fil-A catering ensures fast, scrumptious, fresh food with everything you need included. Order using your Chick-fil-A app or call Steve right now and tell him what you need when and for how many. They can feed hundreds. Remember, Chick-fil-A now offers breakfast too so they can cater your morning meeting including hot, 
rich coffee. And it all comes in the brand new Chick-fil-A delivery van. That's Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square, 5198 Campbell Boulevard, or give them a call, 410-931-0031. The Parkcell Early Phase Unit at Harbor Hospital is looking for healthy males and females ages 18 to 85 to volunteer for a clinical research study. Length of participation and number of visits vary by study. If you qualify, you may receive compensation ranging from $1,200 to $8,500 upon completion. For more information, please visit our website or call 1-877-617-8839. Call now. And we are back with the final segment of the battle round. Guys, you know, I can take a joke as, as well as the next guy, but three times... I think our listeners and our viewers are, are tired of that. You want to hear it a fourth time? No. <laughs> I, I could play it a fourth time. <laughs> now, our good friend Ray Bachman, who's been around a lot, he's a, sure. been, a, been a producer in several different locations. He sends up a Facebook post that says, I didn't make it to the gym today. That makes five years <laughs> in a row. <laughs> I like that. I like that. It's been about that long for so me. For me, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, you do your bike riding. Well, I do, yes. Yeah. You're still doing that? Absolutely. Good, good, good. Absolutely. All right, um, Craig, where do we go? You got a 5.30 game. I know you got a 1.45 appointment with Dusty Baker today. Down in the interview room, yep. Uh, What do the Nats have to do to square this series today? Well, I think uh, what we were talking about before we came back from the break, I think it behooves them to score a couple of runs early and maybe let Gio settle in a little bit. Uh, Gio's got to throw – the kind of game we were used to seeing him throw most of the year, uh, part of the reason why he won as many games as he did. Uh, but, but you can't have a pitch count in the hundreds by the fifth inning, and you got to throw strike one and because that sets up everything else. If he can get ahead of hitters, that st- sets up everything else. Uh, he does in terms of the curveball and keeping guys off balance. Uh, you, you think about Rizzo and and – you know, the left-handed bats in this lineup. I'm sure Joe Madden will adjust his lineup accordingly. Uh, but this is a game that Geo can win, and I think the Nats can win. To me, and then we'll get Bonds' take on it, to me, now while Lester is eminently beatable, I think Lester steps up from where he's been most of the regular season this year. I think he steps up and is very tough today for six, six and a third, six and two-thirds. And Geo. I think if he gives up two or three early, I think it's going to be a long day for the Nats. Could be a long day, but keep in mind this offense, even though they were shut down last night, I think the big key to look for early is if Trey Turner can get on base. If he can get on base, Lester doesn't throw over to first base. This is something the Nationals can exploit. Uh, Look, they're four top hitters. The Nats have tremendous on-base percentage, yeah. but the drop-off after those four, when you get a Matt Wieters with a two eighty eight on-base worth three they they're not as bad as the Orioles on-base, but there's a big drop-off from the big four in that Nationals and, lineup. And we'll see whether or not last night's pitching performance by Hendricks, you know, if there's still a, a, a layover, you know, for, for the Nats. Carryover. I, I carry over. I don't think that's going to be the case. I think you're going to come out and score a few runs early. I going. hope so. I'm rooting for the Nats. I was going to say the same thing about Trey Turner because Lester, only way Lester can pick you off is if you're halfway down first going to second. Right. Plus, you know, yesterday Harper got a hit. Murphy did square up one really good, just hit it right to somebody. And another thing is if anyone gets on base in front of Zimmerman, the last thing that Zimmerman – 
should do because he always has a habit of doing it is grounding into double plays. Well, and the other part about it is, too, going into that game last night, he was 0 for 9 against uh, Hendricks mm-hmm. to begin with. So that didn't bode well and obviously went hitless last night. So, you know, they have to come out and they got to score some runs tonight. Should be interesting. It's yes. a critical game. Yeah. All right, guys. That does wrap up our show. We'll be here next week when we will be already in the midst of the uh, National and American League Championship Series. I'm saying it's going to be Houston and Cleveland and Los Angeles, and that one I'm not 100% sure on yet. Who's starting for the Dodgers today? Rich Hill starts against Robbie Robbie Ray Ray. tonight at uh, 9 o'clock. 9-10, right? I believe it's 9 Hold on. I believe it is 9-10. I had 9 o'clock, but I'm sure by the time they get finished stuff, uh, it'll be (laughs) 9-10. And just grab your remote, folks. Just go around and see if you can find it. it You're right. All right. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. We'll see you next week, everybody.